BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Thank goodness it is Friday, March 29th. And live from the Chicago Reader Suntime Studios on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Romano Rundown with the Chicago Sun-Times Romano Hussein. We welcome theater director Jeremy Wexler and its Illinois State Senator, Toy Hutchinson. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Glass House Friday. And here is what? What? Oh, folks, I'm a little giddy, and that's because I got up early today. Yep, two days in a row yesterday. I was awakened by the jackhammer of the CTA workers. Today, I got up on my own volition, D. Oh. Yeah, the alarm went bing at 7 o'clock, an ungodly early hour for me. Many times, we're just rolling into bed at 7 o'clock, but nope, got up early. Rise and shine, then brush my teeth, out to the car, drove over to the reader offices on South Michigan Avenue for a diversity training session. Great job. Shout out to Avi and Lisa, who led the, the discussion. Hey, Avi. Hey, Lisa. And uh, <laughs> it got me thinking, how about applying some of the lessons uh, that we learned today at our seminar to politics? It makes sense to me. So one of the fundamental lessons that we learned today, one of the golden rules is practice what you preach. In other words, D, don't demand that other people do what you don't do yourself, right? Uh, You know the concept of practicing what we preach is really on my mind these days as, as I watch and hear so many people preaching about what everyone else did wrong in Smollett Gate. Or is it Smollett Gate? Smollett Gate. Oh, excuse <laughs> Smollett Gate, which is what I'm calling a, the huge fallout over Jesse Smollett. I know there's a lot of criticism for Smollett and uh, State's Attorney Kim Fox, and I've been making some of that criticism, not the least. I think it's the biggest criticism, actually, is that by cutting this deal, this backroom deal, and this leaving so many questions hanging... Kim Fox has undercut one of the most fundamental precepts that she ran on, and that is finding an alternative sentencing for nonviolent offenders. I voted for Kim Fox in part because I believe strongly in that part, and it's really suffered a blow by this controversy. Having said that, let's get to some of the big preachers who are going on and on about this thing, although they're not talking about alternative sentencing. And that would be one, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, and two, President Donald Donnie Trump. Let's start with Rahm. 
He's outraged. Outraged, I tell you, that Smollett got away with making false statements to the police. Now he's billing Smollett $130,000. That's the amount of money Rom said it cost the police to investigate his phony claims of being mugged. Fair enough. But Rom, what about your own false statements? Huh? What about your own false statements like this one? Spending $1.3 billion on Lincoln Yards so that it will build the tax base when everybody who knows anything about how TIF deals works knows it's exact opposite. Lincoln Yards will drain the system of taxes for 23 years. So we'll be spending tax dollars to effectively lose tax dollars for 23 years. So if Smollett has to pay $130 for his false statement, Rom. Maybe you should drop the whole Lincoln Yards deals for your false statements. As for President Donald Trump, he's crying that a federal investigation into Smollett and Kim Fox is mandatory. Funny how that works, Donald. It's a witch hunt when the feds investigate you, but when it comes to Smollett and Fox, send in Elliot Ness. You can't say one word, Mr. Trump, about the feds investigating Justice Smollett until you reveal the results of the federal investigation into you. And that means releasing the Mueller report, you know, that 300-page report that you got hidden in the desk of uh, Attorney General William Barr. You know that report? Like they say, if you live in a glass house, you shouldn't throw stones. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein. Yes, it's a Friday. It means a Ramana rundown. Boy, I bumped into her in the hallway, D. She is ready to talk some serious. <laughs> yeah. She was like warmed up. I'm going, Ramana, Ramana, wait for the show. But and I'm, and I'm like, like, hey, Ben, come on, show prep. <laughs> She's ready, folks. And, you know, Romana, uh, before she was the uh, one of the editors here at the Sun-Times, covered the uh, criminal courts building, so she knows a thing or two, D, about how things happen at 26 in California. Can't wait to bring Romana on and maybe ask her a question or two about us. You know, I'm obsessively looking for someone, Not anyone. A, oh, us? You mean you and me? No, the movie wise guy. Oh. <laughs> the, the movie that only Miles, the editor, has seen. If anybody I know, the only guy I know who's seen it is Miles. Two thumbs up, right, Miles? Uh, and uh, so uh, Romano will be here. And uh, Jeremy Wexler will be here in the 2 o'clock hour. He directs, he's directing the play at the Wit Theater. It's called Emissions. You think he's seen us? You know what? I'm going to... Great question. <laughs> God, we should reverse it. I'm going to be the producer, and you ask the questions. Nah, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> admissions. It's uh, at the Theater Wit uh, at 1229 West Belmont. And what would you do to get your kid into college? This is the, uh, the the flyer I'm reading. What would you do to get your kid into college? Admissions. And so it's perfect timing. There's a play about uh, parents scheming and scamming to get their kids into college. Uh, just as that story broke and about. Yeah, I was going to say, you said that he put that out before the story came out. That is correct. That's crazy. I mean, life is weird that way. Anyway, uh, Jeremy Wexler, uh, outstanding director, will be here at 2 o'clock. And then at 2.30, one of my favorite people in the world of politics, the pride and joy of the South Suburb State Senator Toy Hutchinson, will be in the studio and she'll be talking, let's see, D, she'll be talking politics, politics, politics. And politics. So lots of political discussion with State Senator Toy Hutchinson, who, if I know Toy, is on her way right now. <laughs> Driving. To- <laughs> 
What kind of car was that? Uh, that was a blue Mustang. Oh, nice. In fact, I have one right here. Look. Awesome. Mm-hmm. See that, listeners? <laughs> Do you see that, listeners? That's a car. <laughs> Got a blue Mustang, everybody. <laughs> uh, yes, anyway. So that's what we have ahead. But you know what we have now, young man? We've got Dr. D with the news. All right, everybody. It's the middle of the final day of the week. I'm looking at you, weekend. (laughs) And like we always do about this time, let's find out what's happening in the national news this afternoon. Well, first off, a health care update. Remember, everyone, President Donald Trump announced earlier in the week that he plans to put it into the Affordable Care Act. I mean, this isn't really the first or second time or, in fact, third time he said this. Uh, Today, we got to hand it to Republican Senator uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Got to hand it to him because today he announced, oh, no, I'm not going down this road again, buddy. (laughs) Fool me 20 times. Shame on you. Fool me 50 times. Mitch McConnell has signaled that he does not plan to play a leading role in developing that sudden new health care bill proposed by our president and will instead wait to see what President Trump can craft uh, that might pass in the Democratic-led house. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, folks, I'm going to give you a little. We, I, we have to bring us an expert to take the deep dive in this. We got a, uh, e, an email today from a, a good friend of the show, Beth Blackson. Beth? I know you're out there. Uh, send us the email saying we should do a better job of explaining uh, all the different alternatives uh, to health care. We're going to do that. But I will say this about that. There is no Republican alternative to Obamacare. None. N-O-N-E. There's never been a Republican alternative to Obamacare. It's a, a piece of the imagination of Donald John Trump. Uh, they're just running on the passions that people have uh, regarding any program that was promoted, created by the former president, Barack Obama. There's some people who hate Obama so much, just despise the fact that he was president for eight years, that they didn't want to eradicate anything that has anything to do with them, including health care that benefits tens of millions of people. So they were ready to get rid of it, leaving so many people vulnerable without health care. And um, so McConnell is worried about holding on to the Senate. It's like, he doesn't care if tens of of millions of people lose their health care. He's worried if like 20 Republican senators lose their jobs. So he's like, hold back, baby, hold back. So now, you know, come on, Donald, talking a big game. What's your plan, huh, big feller? Yeah, it's probably in the drawer along with the Mueller report over there in Barr's office, huh, D? Here's the quote from McConnell. Quote, (laughs) I look forward to seeing what the president is proposing and what he can work out with the speaker. Mitch McConnell's suddenly in the studio. He left. He he just dropped in on the Sun-Times building. (laughs) Maybe give Fran an interview. All right, we have some international news to briefly discuss. British Prime Minister Theresa May, for a third time, has lost the crucial vote on her Brexit deal. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I think that people in uh, England are starting to have some of the same regrets about the Brexit vote that I hope people in the United States are having about the Donald John Trump vote. Uh, There's a lot of similarities and parallels, like a nationalistic, impulsive act by people who were voting against their own best interests. So uh, they can't concoct a craft, uh, a solution, uh, a compromise. So it looks like she's going to lose her job and... uh, Maybe they're going to have a new referendum and just do the whole thing over, much like we are going to have in the United States with the 2020 presidential election, D. All right, so that was the international news. Now let's get back into the states here. Ben, 
we may have a doozy of a show on Tuesday, April 2nd. Yeah, yeah, the Chicago runoff elections. But also, rumor has it that our House Democrats have been getting a little peeved with this uh, Attorney General Bill Barr lately because Barr has yet to turn over the full Russian collusion report by uh, special counsel Robert Mueller to Congress and Democrats on the Hill have now demanded to see the full Mueller report by April 2nd. I'm with them 185%. Can you be with something 185%? I mean, sure. Why not, huh? First of all, okay, one more time. I got in a lot of trouble with our listeners of the lefty persuasion. They're very upset with me. Lock the door. (laughs) Because I said, I think last, I love Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And one of our uh, dear listeners, uh, dear friends of the show, put on the Facebook, hey, Ben, get David Ferris on there, professor of Roosevelt University. (laughs) So, by the way, David Ferris will be on the show next week. We'll be having a sure spirited debate about Nancy Pelosi and uh, because he's been critical of her. But. Uh, in particular, her quotes, she's taunting Trump. You know, he really gets under, she really gets under his skin. But she's the one who said uh, that Trump and the Republicans were, quote unquote, scaredy cats because they would not release the report. Scaredy cats. And it's a word I can understand. I was a scaredy cat uh, when I saw Candyman. Remember Candyman, D? Oh, yeah. Say it five times. Yeah. I mean, don't actually because we don't want him in here. <laughs> All right. I love that movie. Anyway, I was a scaredy cat when I was watching it. So the Democrats are uh, demanding the results of that Mueller investigation. Oh, hey, and speaking of the Mueller investigation. The collusion delusion <laughs> is over. How about that Donald Trump rally last night, huh? Uh, wait, just could you play that one more time? The collusion delusion is over. Okay, he right there is imitating Johnny Carson. Right there. Over. Hank type millennials. (laughs) Millennials like, who? What? Yes, Donald Trump had a rally last night. This time our president was barking in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Ah, Let's hear what he has to say. Take notes, everybody. The Democrats have to now decide whether they will continue defrauding the public with ridiculous bullshit. Whoa, hey. Hey. All right. Hey, you didn't push that little button. No, we don't have to. Oh, it's a podcast. Yeah, that's right. And the president uh, went on to uh, with this rally last night. The special counsel completed its report and found no collusion and no obstruction. I could have told you that two and a half years ago. (laughs) Oh, what a guy. Wait a minute, Donnie. We don't know what that you don't even know what they found because the report's buried in the. Bar's drawers. I know that doesn't sound right. His yeah. desk of drawers. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Maybe he's put it in his other drawers. I don't know. But he's, he's got it where the sun don't shine. That's for sure. Yeah, not sure if you guys could tell, but that was uh, Donald Trump's first rally since uh, the Robert Mueller uh, investigation came to a close. Not sure if you can tell. Uh, and we'll do one more bit here of uh, National News. Ben, it's our favorite obsession. During an interview with CNBC, former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon shared oh, his opinion. Man, no, Steve Bannon. Listeners, in case you're curious in hearing his opinion, uh, when asked which Democrat would fare out best against Donald Trump in 2020, well, Bannon answered, and he has a combined ticket. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) California Senator Kamala Harris for president and Beto O'Rourke 
as vice president is what Steve Bannon. All right. So do you think I'm going to put this question to you, young man? Do you think that he was speaking from his heart and being honest in what he thought was the best possible chance the Democrats had to win? Or do you think he was trying to, you know, kind of like sabotage them a little bit? What do you think, well, young man? I'll read the rest here and then I'll right. uh, we'll answer it here. It says Bannon, who said he doesn't expect Trump to lose in 2020, uh, okay. said he would put the two Democrats on a combined ticket with Harris running for president in O'Rourke for vice president, saying they would be a way to mobilize their base and give it their best shot. <laughs> Thanks, Steve, for looking out. For, I'm just trying to look out for the Democrats and what's their best shot, as opposed to what he thinks would be the best shot for Donnie Trump, if you follow what I just said, and young man. To answer your question, I think he means it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why not, huh? All right. You hear that, Steve? He thinks you're real? <laughs> we got one guy that thinks you're real. I guess, you know. Now, of course, we will keep you posted on those stories as today's program rolls along. But enough of that national news. Benny J, I got a quick question for you. Uh-huh. What could that be? For the fourth and final time this week, uh-huh. are you ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or uh, Illinois? I was born ready. Fantastic. <laughs> Great answer. Because coming up after this short little break, we're going to find out what else is news. I cannot wait because it's the part of the show where the doctor plucked that little trick out of his little sleeve. Can't wait to see what it is right after this. Hey there. Producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show yes indeed we are back uh at uh, our beautiful studios chicago sun time office indeed before i kick it over to you for the news i just want to give a shout out to michael crescent he is the father of salem and salem said i met salem today and she said her dad mike uh, loves the show and so mike you're the man. You're the man, Mike. You're the man, Mike. Hey, Mike. All right. You're the man. Yeah, All right. Mike. Yeah. Hey, Mike. <laughs> is this getting weird, Mike? Hey, Mike. What's up? You're, and you're speaking into a mic as you say, hey, Mike. Oh, my. <laughs> Mind blown. I got to leave. You're on your own. 
Yeah, man. It's mind-blowing, dude. Uh, so anyway, speaking of mind-blowing things, what do you got for me in the local news? Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else's News. And people, uh, yeah. we are only four, count them, four days away from our Chicago runoff elections. In fact, our next live Ben Gerard, Ben's counting them right now. Four days. Look at that. Yeah, he's a regular Dan Biss, that Jarofsky. <laughs> in fact, our next live Ben Jarofsky show will be Election Day, uh, Tuesday, April 2nd, and we will once and for all find out who our next mayor will be, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle or former Chicago Police Board President Lori Lightfoot. Mm-hmm. Now, yesterday, we played the latest ad from our Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, it's an ad targeting Lightfoot for her, quote, shockingly lax handling of a lawsuit stemming from a 2004 fire that killed four children. Well, the family involved in the fire recently came out against the Preckwinkle ad, asking that it be taken off the air. Here's Lavera Funches, the oldest daughter in the family. She agrees that Preckwinkle was trying to take advantage of her family's tragedy in the ad that we played yesterday. She said about the ad, quote, take it down. Just take it off the TV. We want nothing else but to take it off. Preckwinkle has since responded, saying she will not pull the ad. Here's the quote from Preckwinkle. Quote, no, I think this is an ad that shares with the voters important factors of my opponent's capacity to lead. Ben Jarofsky, take the ad down or do not take the ad down. I think she should take the ad down. I don't think she put the ad up in the first place. I think that uh, so many, we've just been talking about this all week, uh, so much of... The advertisements that the campaigns have been uh, promoting uh, or airing, Tony hasn't done one in a while, are so negative uh, and uh, distract from the important issues of the day. And I know it sounds like a civic class. Uh, you know, there are issues that we should be uh, addressing, but that's not what happens in a political election, particularly in one in Chicago. This has been nasty and negative from the get-go. I've not heard anything res- remotely resembling like a practical plan that either a candidate is willing to um, advocate because they don't want, again, a nasty ad that uh, makes a caricature of what they're up, uh, they're doing. In fact, this is going on. I just got to say this. This is happening in the 47th Ward. Really irritates me to no end. Matt Martin is running. It's an open seat against Michael Negron. And Matt Martin is calling for, and this is an example, D, of just how politics plays out in Chicago. Matt Martin is saying we have to look at new ways to raise money to finance government, new progressive ways that are not regressive forms of taxation. And maybe we should think about a, um, a corporate, uh, excuse me, a city income tax. And what has Michael Negron done? He's got these uh, flyers going, he wants to raise your taxes. So as soon as you say anything like Matt Martin did, is it credible? That's an attempt to try to have like a honest discussion of what we have have to do to fix what's wrong with the city of Chicago, deal with our, in this case, our financial obligations, the other side reduces it to like a, a dumb ad. So that is the political situation that we live in right now. It, um, it plays to the dumbest of the dumb. And uh, so I don't think she should have aired the ad in the first place, young man. All right. Well, Preckwinkle says she's going to keep the ad going here, but there are a couple more anti-Lightfoot ads floating around on the internet at the moment. 
And Ben, I think they're definitely worth talking about. These ads come from the progressive political organization known as United Working Families. And while they don't necessarily have anything positive to say about Lightfoot's opponent, Tony Preckwinkle, in fact, nowhere in any of these ads do they mention voting for Tony Preckwinkle, these ads certainly light up Lori. So we're going to play two of them. Did you say light up Lori? Yeah, they light up Lori. That's pretty cool, man. Light up Lori. (laughs) Sorry, that's alliteration. Doing what I can here. All right, so we're going to hold Lightfoot's feet uh, to the fire here. First ad that we're going to play here is titled Hashtag Stop Lightfoot Train Takeover. It features young activists on what looks to be the red line. So let's go ahead and play that. Once again, this ad is titled Hashtag Stop Lightfoot Train Takeover. Ben, weigh in with your thoughts when it's over. Obviously, shout out to the uh, red line guy there. <laughs> Doors open on the right. That guy was on there. Did he say was that? That was. Yeah, it was. The, yeah, yeah. It was the red line. Well, there's a lot of uh, truth to what uh, they said in their indictment of Lori Lightfoot. We had uh, was it Kathy Cheney was on the show yesterday, and she was talking about uh, uh, sitting through some of those police board hearings and the feeling of powerlessness that people had when they they felt as though the police board was not responding uh, to the complaints and to the heartfelt. Uh, testimony of uh, some of the survivors of uh, people who've been killed uh, by uh, by policemen in the city of Chicago. So uh, I completely understand uh, their frustration. I feel the same way, particularly when it comes to the Chicago School Board or the Chicago uh, Community Development Commission or the Joint Review Board or all these entities uh, appointed by the mayor that are absolutely indifferent to the pleas and the appeals of uh, ordinary citizens. Uh, I I would also say that the same complaint could be made uh, registered against Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, She's been largely silent on many of the crucial issues of the day. In fact, I just wrote a story about this in the Reader D. As in my humble opinion, neither one of these uh, candidates have been on the front lines of progressive issues throughout the lap for over the last 10 years. And in some cases, they've been on the other side. Uh, particularly uh, Tony Preckwinkle was favoring the Amazon deal, which we were going to shell out $2.2 billion. So, uh, listen, is there a real progressive in this race? At the moment, I would say if you take a look at the last 10 to 15 years, the answer is no. But uh, this is the choice we have. 
It's Tony Perkwinkle versus Lori Lightfoot. Harold Washington's not walking into the room at any time soon. So this is the choice that we have. And uh, obviously, the, those young activists feel very strongly that Lori Lightfoot um, should not deserve their vote. But it's interesting that they're not calling for a vote for Tony Preckwinkle. Do you get what I'm saying? It's just like they say, don't vote for Lori, but it's not like they're going to vote for Tony. Uh, because reality, she, neither one of them have been on the front lines of these progressive issues at all. So you can't really say uh, that one has been more supportive of what uh, those young activists have been pushing for for the last four or five years. All right. So that was the ad there. Uh, stop Lori there on the uh, red line. Doors open on the right. <laughs> You can hear the guy in the red light. I, All right. I was on, wondering who that was. I know. I saw your face. <laughs> on to our next ad. Once again, these ads come from the progressive political organization known as United Working Families. That's Emma Ty's group, isn't it? Emma Ty's group, yeah. yeah she's been on this show before. Absolutely. Hey, Emma, how's it going? All right. Uh, so we're going to play the next one here. And what a segue. Ben Jarofsky, you just brought it up here. Uh, this video tries to answer the question. Well, they have the answer. It's no. Is Lori Lightfoot a progressive? Mm -hmm. It's a rather long video, like I said here. So, Ben, feel free to uh, tell me to pause it, and I can pause it. Not a problem. Uh, is Lori Lightfoot a progressive? This features, um, I believe, oh, Paige May. Paige May is uh, featured in that, and uh, other activists as well. Here it is. Is Lori Lightfoot a progressive? The simplest way I can think of it is Lori Lightfoot is the ops. Lori Lightfoot has a career of defending Republicans. She is a corporate lawyer who spent decades protecting police officers. Someone's track record is their most important indicator of what we can expect from them in the future. And I remember the CPD board hearings where family members of Betty Jones, family members of, of, of Laquan, and, and Rakia's family were leaving in tears. Um, she was shutting down the meetings. I remember her telling Martinez Sutton that he was too emotional and that if he did not stop talking, that he would be removed. Lightfoot just was not moved and even just uh, threatened to have him removed from the proceeding for, for using curse words. Like, this man lost his sister. Betty Jones' daughters are crying and upset. And you could see that Lori was, like, not taking this well. They haven't been in the ground two weeks yet. And you're sitting up there shutting them down when they have a right to be angry and really show her true colors. I think that when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? When your career is to lock people up, put people away, that then becomes your worldview or framework for what it looks like to make a city safe, right? And so she lacks the imagination of, you know, maybe we should be investing more in schools. Maybe should we be in investing more in the mental health centers that were closed down? CPD already gets 40% of the city's budget. And I feel like a future with Lori Lightfoot, since she's very pro-cop, looks like more investment in police and not into communities. We were at the big protest for uh, demanding No Cop Academy. It was the final vote at City Hall. And uh, young people that had been fighting against this for over a year at this point are, are removed from City Hall and are assaulted by CPD officers in the stairwell. And all of this is happening at the same moment that we find out Lori Lightfoot is at a forum at the University of Chicago, where when she is asked 
What, what would you do about the police academy? Lori Lifer said that she wanted to turn 38 of the closed schools into mini cop academies. That she is saying this at literally the moment that our young people are getting thrown on the ground to the point of bleeding by CPD, a 16-year-old is getting arrested, is, uh, is offensive, and she's showing her true colors. You just have to look. I see Chicago as a place full of, uh, full of people who have the right to um, live in their full dignity and, and live with all right, there's about 30 seconds more left for that, but uh, go ahead. Yeah, all right, yeah, uh, Romana Hussein is in the studio, so we got to get ready to the, move on to the next yeah. portion of the show. But uh, uh, that was, uh, I just got finished talking about uh, the whole issue of who's progressive in this race and who isn't, and uh, they uh, were very, um, they were laying out the case against Lori Lightfoot and uh, declaring why you should not vote for Lori Lightfoot, but what they're not doing in that commercial uh, is taking the next step and explaining why you should vote for Tony Preckwinkle. What, what's a positive reason for voting for Tony Preckwinkle? So if it's just, what, the worst of two evils type thing? Uh, well, that's an argument that's made, raised. I know a lot of Democrats felt that when they voted for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump, they were voting for the lesser of two evils. People think that that's how people vote all the time. Uh, if that's the best you can do for Tony Preckwinkle, it doesn't say much for her. Either way, I think no matter which candidate wins, anybody who values certain progressive uh, uh, virtues such as like uh, less police brutality, let's say, or more equitable distribution of city funds or uh, spending money, more money on public schools or opening up more mental health clinics, et cetera, et cetera, or stop spending all our TIF dollars in gentrifying areas. It's going to be a fight, people. Neither one of these candidates have stood up on those issues for the last 10 years. You could say, yeah, this one candidate is worse than the other, or may, may this, this one candidate's record's worse than the other, but the fact of the matter is, neither one of these candidates has been on the front lines of these issues for the last 10 years. So this fight, this struggle will continue, in my humble opinion, uh, even after this election. All right, so there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what is going on here in Chicago. Four more days until our Chicago runoff elections, and four more days until we here in Chicago will have a new mayor. And now... You will have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right, let me tell you something. Okay. Something that Michael Sachs, uh, one of the new owners of the Chicago Sun-Times, a new investor in the Chicago Sun-Times, and something that Michael Jeffrey Jordan, one of your favorite basketball players, and something that Michael Anderson, a kid I went to high school with, all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We got Romana sitting here for the Romana Rundown. Be right back after this. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com.
Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Take it away, Benny J. All right, we'll do it. It's mm, Friday, and that means the Ramada Rundown, one of the most popular features on this show. We got T-shirts, we got cups, we have uh, <laughs> cars saying Ramana Rundown Friday. And uh, in the studio, the great Ramana Hussein from the Chicago Sun-Times, editor at the Chicago Sun-Times. But on Friday, she is a regular guest on the Ben Jarofsky Show. So, uh, Ramana, welcome back. Happy Friday. Thanks. Happy Friday to you, too. All right. So, so many important things to talk about. And I was just teasing at the top of the show about how you're really ready to talk some serious uh, uh, Jussie Smollett. Uh, but before we uh, get to that, uh, <laughs> on a less, uh, well, let's just get this one out of the way. You, I, I asked you to listen to that um, mm-hmm. that uh, commercial that was uh, that Dennis just aired. It was from uh, what was it? Oh, United Working Families commercial. Uh, as, ex, I, it wasn't so much. Was that uh, a commercial? It was pretty long. Uh, well, like a YouTube ad. Yeah. YouTube oh, okay, tab got ad, it. My okay. bad. Uh, and uh, it wasn't so much extolling the virtues of uh, Tony Preckwinkle as uh, denouncing. Uh, whoa. Uh, Let's Lori, not to it. Let's keep going. <laughs> uh, Lori Lightfoot. So uh, I don't know. What you th- did you think it was effective? Uh, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it is. Um, but I think it's one of those themes that have been going on since the February primaries, people talking about who's more progressive and who's less progressive. And it's kind of been a word that's been thrown around by both candidates. And um, I think since the beginning, you know, Lori Lightfoot being on the Chicago police board, we've heard things like, well, you know, she's a prosecutor, she's a cop. And, you know, these are kind of, these are kind of themes that are being spoken about even at the national level, like Kamala Harris is someone who was a prosecutor and people keep calling her a cop too. So I think this is just a theme that we're going to be hearing for the next, and we've been hearing since the primary about, you know, Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot. They've kind of known this is the theme too, because they're always bringing this up and, you know, Tony Preckwinkle, we talked about this on the show before, always, you know, emphasizing that Lori Lightfoot was a corporate lawyer. So, you know, that gets a lot of progressives um, angry. But I think some of the questions that people have is definitely, you know, interesting. I wasn't at this meeting that they were talking about. And I don't know if that's the first time. That's probably the first time I've heard of, you know, cops actually pushing people down and causing people to bleed. I'd never heard that one before. So that's that's interesting. I've, I, I heard about, you know, the actual, like, you know, meeting or the, you know, discussion that was happening, but I don't remember hearing about that. So I'd like to look at the whole thing. I saw, I heard most of it, but would like yeah, to watch we had yesterday, uh, Kathy Cheney was on the show and, uh, we talked at length about this. Um, she was re- re- recalling some of those police board hearings, uh, where, uh, Lori Lightfoot was very much playing the role of the, just, you know, the stone face, yes. just stick by the rules, uh, judge like she was a judge uh and you, i don't know if you were at the hideout when we had her there when mcdumkey uh, i her. um i'm usually at your shows but because i get out at six i'm usually there a little later than before the start time so sometimes if it's a big draw and she was definitely a big draw so i was outside well she she defended area. herself on this this uh, mm-hmm. question was asked of her about this and she said that it's a, a judicial board the police board and as such uh, she has to act as impartial as she can possibly be because uh, she doesn't want to do anything. She specifically said this, I'm paraphrasing, she doesn't want to do anything that would uh, rile up the Fraternal Order Police and lead to an appeal of whatever ruling they make. So she's very conscious of where. Do you buy that as a uh, answer? I, I, I don't know. I mean, she's probably being evasive on the, and you know, that's what these politicians, a lot of these people who are, you know, 
trained to be politicians or, you know, working in the political limelight do. Um, you know, she kind of has the, you know, serious demeanor. And I think so, so does Tony Preckwinkle. You don't really see either of them showing too many emotions. So, I mean, maybe that's just her role. But, you know, I the hearings that we're, we're listening to and people talking about, I mean, it's pretty interesting. And then it wasn't, wasn't some of those um, accusations in, in the story that came out in the Sun-Times by my colleagues about the fire and um, her role when she was working for the city and, you know, the, her behavior in that. I think those are kind of like similar accusations where she was kind of stoic, had, you know, no emotions. So I don't know, maybe that's the role that you kind of play. Yeah, you no, know, that is a I, role definitely yeah. that you play. And I think they must give lessons because if you ever go to a, a board of education meeting. I went to a lot of board of education yeah. meetings in my career at the beginning. I used to cover the um, Chicago Public Schools as a um, beat reporter for uh, City we, News Bureau. I used to cover City Hall and the, <laughs> the Chicago Public Schools and transportation. So I went to all these meetings. So I remember those. And this is when Paul Vallis was there. So it was definitely people like, you know, coming to the meetings and you know, getting really emotional. There's some regulars that definitely came. And, you know, after a while, the board would just kind of just sit there stone-faced. And, you know, I remember Gary Chico, this woman would be swearing at him and he'd be like, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. <laughs> like, and, you know, she'd go on and on. And it was, uh, so I'd be laughing because, you know, I was in my Well, how would you do that? Time. I mean. I, I would find it really hard yeah. because uh, I think I have emotions and I, I, I don't think I contain it, but I can't be a politician either. So I, I think it's, it, you know, you probably have to kind of make yourself, I mean, I mean, I'm a journalist, so you kind of have let let things roll off your back. So I think politicians probably have to do that too. Yeah, or someone's 10. just yelling at you right in your face. Yeah, um, I mean, she was throwing the f bomb, and it was it was like, and then she started referring to like his manhood, and I was oh, just this like, at a board of education. This is a board of yeah. education me- meeting, and uh, you know, I was what 25, 26. <laughs> Younger I was saying, like, oh my oh god. My. <laughs> and so of course I'm like, oh my god, why isn't anybody else laughing? Why am I the only person laughing? So, I mean, they do they do I think it's something that they kind of get trained in or just kind of have to play that role. I mean, yeah. do you really see that many politicians crying unless they have to or they get caught doing well, something? Well, my general, and you're probably going to chastise me for this, Romana, but when I, when I see a politician crying, I'm like, all <laughs> right, they, what's going on? Yeah, those real tears. Uh, I mean, didn't Rom cry last year at some point over something? I can't remember what it I was. Think when he announced that he wasn't going to run for mayor, I think he got a little emotional. He got a little emotional. He choked up a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And are were they tears of joy? Anyway, all right. Well, Rom is a perfect segue when I really want to talk to you about. Uh, and uh, that would be uh, Jesse Smollett. I've been corrected so many times. And by the way, I want to say uh, Andy Grimm, ace Sun-Times criminal justice uh, reporter who inherited the beat from Rumana, uh, will be our guest for a special bonus feature today. So it'll be airing this weekend. He's going to take us, uh, Rumana for the ABCs of this whole thing from start to finish. And, you know, he, he was there doing some great reporting to FOIA stuff. So it'd be really great to hear what Andy has to say. But let's just start uh, at the top. Since you were last on the show, uh, I guess it was Tuesday that the story broke that uh, all charges were being dropped uh, for uh, in Jesse Smollett's um, the case against him, uh, and uh, all hell has broken loose. Yes. So let's start with all the case the the case being dropped. You covered the criminal courts building. How unusual is this? Um, I know Kim Fox has gone kind of like the next day on Wednesday because she was kind of not heard from on Tuesday, but she kind of made the rounds. 
on Wednesday explaining this and how, you know, expungement of cases happen all the time. But actually, the way it was handled, I think a lot of people beg to differ on saying that this is business as usual. Um, we did. I remember I was getting ready for work when I saw an email from Andy Grimm, our sometimes reporter who covers 26 and Cal, who said, oh, Jesse Smollett's going to be talking to the press. There's an emergency like hearing on this case. And then I saw, you know, his uh, competent main, you know, competition at the, the courthouse, Megan Cropot from the Tribune said, I heard there's going to be like development in this case, a big development in this case soon. And this was like way before like 10 o'clock when a lot of the cases happened. So this was like an emergency hearing. I don't think reporters were told until last minute. So if you're working for the TV or radio stations, you're probably running over there, getting there as soon as possible. I think that's very rare for like an emergency hearing. Usually there's a court date and that would be when it would happen. Um, The fact that this case was sealed was something that was also brought up, questioned. Um, There's two prosecutorial um, groups. One was a national and one was a state group. They're a prosecutor's group. They kind of pointed out also that if Kim Fox recused herself from this case, she just should have had the whole, her whole office recuse himself. That's what the normal thing to do is. So, and, you know, they pointed out that this is actually very rare. And in both um, Andy and Megan Cropo, Andy Grimm and Megan Cropo had mentioned how a lot of people were talking about this at the courthouse themselves. It's not just prosecutors. There's a lot of defense attorneys. I know some defense attorneys on Twitter were saying stuff about how this is really rare as well. Um, Megan Cropo from the Tribune was, I know I'm mentioning the Tribune, but she mentioned something pretty funny um, that there's been jokes going around the courthouse, people talking about the Smollett motions when they want someone to get off. Mm-hmm. And they're also <laughs> calling, instead of calling a nolly pros, yeah. that's what people say when um, uh, you know charges are dropped, they're calling it the Smolly pros. Oh, God, I'll tell you what. Those court reporters, <laughs> what a million left. <laughs> so she was saying that they were saying stuff Sorry. like, you know, that's been going on in yeah. the courthouse. Andy was telling me when he was like, you know, going over stuff that was happening at the courthouse with this case um, that that, uh, you know, a lot of the judges are really angry the next day. And they were just yelling at defense attorneys like, you know, and saying things like one judge, um, I you know, I forgot what judge it was, but he's like he was yelling at he heard that he was yelling at all the defense attorneys like all morning long. Wait, saying, why like, were they mad at the what did the defense attorneys do? Because basically, say, you know, I guess because they represent quote unquote suspects. So they're saying you think you can get it. You guys think you can get away. So one judge apparently was like, you think you can get away with anything or like, you know, you're going to get every case cleared. And, you know, they were just kind of like on edge. So this was rare. And I think one of the things that's important i mean there has been discussions about whether you know the city of chicago is taking this too serious because this is not the crime of the century clearly Mm -hmm. and there's criticism about that and i think some of it is warranted but um i think reporters just want to get to the bottom of how this happened and why wasn't handled in this fashion because it's definitely different and and the other thing i wanted to also mention was to ten thousand dollars bond mm-hmm. or bail that yeah. uh jesse smollett donated to the city of chicago yeah i can tell you that's pretty rare in expungement cases usually um this another thing there's an admission of guilt and there was no admission of guilt in this case and uh Far from so it. but then he gave the ten thousand dollars to the city of chicago why would that be done if someone was innocent they usually get the money back mm-hmm. 
or they give it to their lawyers, yeah. you know, to pay for legal fees. So this was definitely rare. And, you know, and then, you know, you saw the that he Jesse Smollett had, you know, they cited the um, some volunteer work that he did at uh, Operation Push. And Jesse Jackson, in our story this week by um, our reporter, had mentioned that Jesse Jackson said that, you know, I never contacted uh, the state's attorney's office. So all of a sudden they know about this. I mean, I don't know who's saying what, but that's unusual, too. So the prosecutor's office just go, oh, okay, Jesse Smollett showed up at um, Operation Push on Monday and on Saturday. So I think there was like two days that he showed up. And so like, okay, that's his community service. Oh. So I just think it's just a, it's just a very interesting case, and there's so many layers to it. It's, All I right. don't know. Well, let's start with layer one. I was taking notes on this. You went through the recitation, which was a good one, uh, Romana. And again, I want to remind everybody that uh, before she was an editor at uh, the Sun-Times, Romana covered the fact, first time I ever saw Romana was at a courthouse here. I don't know if you remember that. I, I was, probably don't remember. Yeah, you were it. running through. You and uh, you were busy doing other things. And uh, Mick go, hey, it's Romana. Anyway, all right. Um, so I was there for a marijuana case. Not my own, someone else's. Okay. Um, so um, Thanks for showing up to that, by the way. My, my marijuana case. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know. Uh, all right, <laughs> that little wisecrack uh, got me off. All right, here we go. Uh, Kim Fox didn't talk Tuesday, but she talked Wednesday. The, let's just start with that one. Just think about that for a second. This was one of the most sensational stories to come out of the city of Chicago in this entire calendar year. It was national news. It was he Jesse Smollett did interviews on. Uh, I think it was I can't remember what they reported, but it was nationally televised interviews. Donald Trump weighed in on it. This was a huge story. Kim it's Fox, still a huge story, it's, yeah. but it's I mean it's even yeah. bigger now because yeah. of this. But I can't even get the words out. How could Kim Fox think that she would not have to have some kind of public comments, you know, or break it? Let, her tell the press what they're doing. Why did make her think you said she didn't talk about it Tuesday, but she made the rounds on Wednesday? Yeah, and uh, you know, she actually um, didn't call us until like seven o'clock, which I think was interesting. I think she was making the rounds on TV, CNN, and I, I think she called the Tribune around four or five that day, but I just thought it was interesting that the two beat reporters that actually cover 26 and Cal and understand the process and how it goes. They did, weren't in contact until later in the day. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So what what was, what was this all about? I don't know. I think she was maybe doing damage control on Wednesday because a lot of people were. Saying, no, but you know, why wasn't she talking about it on Tuesday? Because she had her colleague who was took over the case. Because you know she had recused herself from this case for, since the yeah. beginning when she said that she had uh, talked to Jesse Small when Jesse Smollett was considered a victim. She talked to his relative in Tina Chen. Michelle Obama's former chief of staff. So she had um, her colleague prosecute the case and he was going around, you know, so on Tuesday, Jesse Smollett said he's still innocent. He said he wouldn't be his mother's son, you know, if he did this. And by, you know, we don't know what happened in this case because this never went to trial, but, you know, he basically was able to maintain his innocence. And then we had, you know, Kim Fox's colleague telling everyone that doesn't mean that he's right. That doesn't mean he's innocent. We don't think he was innocent. So then everybody was getting more confused by that. And I think by not having that explanation or him being able to tell everybody that he didn't do this and not admitting that he Mm -hmm. did this, 
made it confusing because of the expungement, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, then the prosecutor's office saying, well, actually, we think he still did it. We think we had the evidence to show, but this is the best way we thought we could resolve it. Well, here's the one thing I, I, I don't understand. Generally, if a deal is cut between the prosecutor and the defendant, there's that moment where the defendant comes to court, comes before the judge and, you know, rises and gives a, a statement of, I've seen this happen so many times just with these Trump deals with uh, uh, the, the distinguished graduate of Niles West uh, High School, Georgia. <laughs> But remember when he uh, he apologized, you know, he's, of course, backtracked completely since yeah. he got out of jail. But he you apologize. You, you, you express regrets, this, that, the other thing. Uh, and then the the, um, uh, the prosecutor explains why he or she is seeking the redress they are, blah, blah, blah. And then the judge. Yeah. And that's when somebody's pleading out. I think this is expungement a little different, but at an expungement, I think you also admit that you're guilty, but he, you know, Jesse Smollett didn't admit he was guilty. So you have, so even after this was thrown out, there was still one side saying one thing and the other side saying another thing, which I think confused a lot of people, yeah. you know, for a lot of people, not, who might not know that much about the criminal justice system, they automatically think, oh, the charges are dropped. So he was innocent all along. And so, you know, then we had you know, the mayor going off and then Eddie Johnson going off. And and uh, and allegedly, Eddie Johnson was never told that this was going to happen. Yeah, we'll get into mayor going off in a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> I got my issues with that one. Uh, all right. The other point, uh, Ramana, that you were, when you did your rundown, uh, you talked about the uh, the case being sealed. Explain that to folks. Uh, cases being sealed. This is a public case. This is public dollars were spent prosecuting and investigating. It's not like a divorce settlement. You know, they seal a divorce settlement. I, I got problems with that, too. But this is yeah. even worse than that. Yeah. And so um, Kim Fox was telling people that um, it was mandatory for them to seal this. But... Then, you know, I know I was reading some of the letters from these groups that were challenging her and her actions, and they said it's actually not mandatory to seal these documents. So this judge decides to, you know, while the day on Tuesday when this case was dropped, when the charges were dropped, the defense attorneys, uh, Smollett's attorney said, we want this to be sealed, and the judge granted them to be sealed. And Andy Grimm, he may talk to you about this, but when he went to the clerk's office, they would not let them see the files. Yeah. And when Andy went to the court computer on Wednesday, the case was gone. It was like it never, he had never been charged. Mm -hmm. It just disappeared, which is also very rare because sometimes when, even when people are cleared of cases, you can still see, that's how we find out about people's criminal records and find out like whether they're convicted or it was thrown out and there's nothing in there. He said it's as if it never existed. Yeah. See, I so can't, those, yeah. those parts of this case is what I think a lot of reporters have questions about. Well, I have a question. Mandatory to seal it. I've never heard that. You've covered the criminal courts. Building. I've, I've never heard that either. And, you know, we probably don't. I mean, just to be fair, I don't I never really covered too many expungement cases because you cover high profile cases. We're thinking in expungement cases. These are like nonviolent, you know, cases um, mostly. So I never really did a lot of these cases, but a lot of files are not sealed i i can just go upstairs when there's a case that's been two <laughs> yeah. years with like it's less than two years old all i do is go upstairs and ask for the file that's what i used to do in the clerk's office they would give me the file and i'd be able to find things about certain cases so that is you know with the laquan mcdonald case that was the one time 
I heard a lot about sealing a file. Yeah, so that, so that is, that yeah. is, that is, that is, <laughs> I should say that. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Now let's, that leads into Rom. <clears throat> and uh, I've been going on and on about this because when the, when the f- story first broke, uh, I was focused on my feeling of outrage that this deal went down the way it did. And then the next couple of days, I'm watching Rom express outrage, and I'm now I'm outraged at Rom for expressing outrage. <laughs> I think a lot of people are. I mean, come on, Rom. Well, I think <laughs> the first day, I mean, he and Eddie Johnson were speaking, and I think Rom kind of took over. And then he used the word whitewash of justice, which I think was probably not the right word to use. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think a lot of people, and I, I think rightfully so, I think are calling him out saying like, you've never had this much outrage when the Laquan McDonald case, you know, unsurfaced. So I think a lot of people are calling him out on that. Um, he's still kind of making the rounds. I mean, I've been seeing him. I, we have CNN on for the last few days because because of the Jesse Smollett case. So it's right in front of me. And every time I look up, I see Rom Wolf, <laughs> Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> Kim yeah. Jansen from uh, who used to work for the Tribune is now at the Los Angeles Times. And he said the newsroom was like all the TVs were on Rom. He's like, I think Rom stalked me all the way to California. He tweeted about that. Wait, so. you should have done it in your Kim Jansen imitation. He has a, he has a very strong British accent. Okay. It's called a mockney. <laughs> it's like a cockney accent, but he kind of exaggerates it. Uh, okay. he, even said, he admits that. So that's he why does. I'm saying He's that like too. Mick Jagger. Because it's cool to have a cockney accent yeah. now. Uh, anyway. So, uh, do you, <laughs> so what do you think Rom's up to? Uh, I have my own opinions, which I've shared. <laughs> with people uh but what's your thoughts what do you think rom's up to with this with this this talk about uh mockery this outrage <laughs> wants, i guess he wants people to like him and you know because people are mad about this case i mean i know there's definitely some people who think jesse smollett was innocent or was, you know a lot of too much attention was paid on this case but um i know i think he you know a lot of people are kind of annoyed too like how to why did he get, you know, special privilege? There's definitely people on the right who are saying things like black privilege, which makes me laugh because if anybody doesn't have privilege in the criminal justice system, it's African-Americans. Absolutely. So it's kind of gotten everybody kind of riled up, but a lot of people are asking these questions. So, you know, he's coming on national TV and being like, I'm mad and, you know, I'm so angry that this happened. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. there's, you know, and then he's talking about real hate crimes. So, you know, that makes him look like, oh, you know, so I think he, I think he wants to come on. Well, I got to tell you, as a guy who's watched Rom run this city for eight years, of all the things for him to be outraged at that have happened in the city of Chicago, this wouldn't even make my top 20 list okay number one like closing mental health clinics and low yeah. income and that's high what and, and that's what a lot of, a lot of people are like on if you go on Twitter or read articles people are saying like where was the outrage when X, Y, or Z happened? Yeah. One of the things that I do think is interesting, you know, people are mentioning Laquan McDonald. Jesse Smollett actually hired the PR person who was uh, the PR person for Daniel Herbert, who represented uh, Jason Van Dyke and Kavanaugh. She's a former TV reporter, but she's Jesse Smollett's spokesperson. She was also Daniel Herbert's spokesperson. I did not know that. Yeah, and then uh, Patricia Brown Holmes ended up representing Jesse Smollett and Patricia Brown Holmes was the special prosecutor that was hired by the state's attorney's office to um, prosecute the three cops or the, was I think it was the three, yeah, three cops tied to the right. uh, Jason Van Dyke case. So there's a lot of Laquan McDonald players in this, which I think is a lot of, very interesting and I think people who don't really cover uh, you know, criminal courts or don't like, you know, pay attention to that stuff. So I think that's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, lawyers always tell me 
that they're taught that you should be able to handle either side of a case. Yeah. You know? So that they're just advocates at that moment. And, um, you know, so you could be on the side of the cops one day and you could be uh, fighting the cops the next yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. And then I, I read that Jesse Smollett was actually nominated for an NAACP award as well. So that's kind of interesting. And people are wondering if he's going to show up or not. He's been nominated since this broke? I think so. Oh, I did not know I, that. I think so. I believe so. I saw a story <laughs> in the queue wow, the other dude. day. So, um, Oh, that'll be that, interesting. Uh, see what he has to say there. Yeah. And uh, he's still professing his innocence. Yes, yes. Um, his lawyer, one of his lawyers, not Patricia Brown Holmes, but was talking about, because, you know, he was saying that these two um, individuals had attacked him because he was black and gay and had mm. used a pro-Trump you know, commentary while doing this attack. So, you know, then we had that, you know, we heard about these two brothers who are of Nigerian descent. So yesterday, I mean, this kind of made me laugh. The His attorney was saying that, you know, maybe these two black guys were wearing white face when they... Yeah, I saw this. that, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, that's what I said about lawyers, man. They so got to do what they got to do. It's, 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 it's been definitely um, just very interesting. And like I said, there's so many layers to this. Now you have like Trump weighing in on it, you know. Oh, that's and, what I was going to ask you. Y'all Donald Trump. Yeah. And then Rom, you know, see, this makes Rom, I think this is Rom, works for Rom's advantage, too, by telling Donald Trump, stay out of it. He told him to sit this one out. And, you know, he spoke on a radio station yesterday. So, like, for a lot of people who don't like Trump, Rom is going to come off as well, a Well, let me repeat what I said at the start of the show. Uh, Rom was outraged that uh, uh, Jesse uh, Smollett would get away with making a false statement. Rom has made plenty of false statements about, just to pick one example that's been on my mind a lot lately, Ramon. The Lincoln Yards deal. So when Ramon, when Rom gets stops making false statements about Lincoln Yards <laughs> and the benefits to taxpayers, then I'll believe him that he's outraged about the false statements that Justice Smollett is making. And as far as Donald John Trump is concerned, Romana, when he's calling for an investigation by the feds, when he releases the federal investigation oh, yeah. into him, which is the Mueller report, which is sitting in some drawer in William Barr's office, then I'll believe he wants yeah, an investigation. Yeah, 300 pages. So so far, we only have four pages. Yeah, four oh, pages. Not even, the, it's a, it's basically a summary, not the actual report. Yeah, I, I think their outrage is fraudulent. All right, now, uh, God, I'm going to, I have to ask you this. You had, you, you were, your assignment uh, from our last show, the last Romano rundown, and again, t-shirts are on their way, the Romano rundown <laughs> t-shirt report, uh, was that you were supposed to watch the movie Us. I did my assignment. I watched the movie Us. Did you watch the movie? No, I didn't, but I'm going to try to watch it in the few next few days, I promise. But, and, but a- I know everybody's watched it. Like my brother's uh kids are on spring break and my sister's kids are on spring break and half of my siblings saw it already that monday they're like oh, they went to the 10 o'clock show and i was like Te- yeah the 10 o'clock show on friday on like, monday on, on monday, monday night and i'm like well i gotta work so um you know i didn't get to see it they're like you know you can come too but i'm like yeah i gotta go to sleep and go to work the next day but i do want to see it you know i want to see it before because you know people are talking about it and i don't want to hear about spoilers so i'm trying to not to read about it too much yeah but i definitely know what it's about and I'm well, sure it's not going to be that scary, but it has a lot to say. Well, I, I tell you this: I bumped we, uh, Ramon and I bumped each other in the hallway before the show, and I well, that's when I knew, I knew she hadn't seen, and I asked her. But uh, and then I've realized that it's really hard to talk about us without giving stuff away. Yeah, uh, and it is a suspenseful movie. 
it is not. I just want to say this. I, I saw it, and I'm really scared of movies. Like I was talking about Candyman. I don't know if you ever saw Candyman. Yeah, I saw that. Okay. The one that was. Uh, it's like based. They filmed in Caribbean Green. That is correct. Yes. Uh, uh, in the '90s, and so like Candyman is like a real scary movie that like I have I, I, to. It, I wasn't that scared by you that? Weren't scared by Candyman? No. When like it, the, the he looks in the mirror and the candy. <laughs> that didn't scare you. It, it made me laugh. I remember watching. Man, she's it. tough. That reminds me. Saying I was scared. <laughs> Miles is shaking his head yeah i know man like the bees like he had candy all yeah over didn't it, get you it, scared it made me laugh because i thought the candy man was kind of like he was so dramatic so i was like oh you know and then the whole backstory and then virginia madsen was like this like you know 1800s woman who like had this relationship you just laughed guy. at it I well there is a level of absurdity in any of these movies yeah. uh but us is not even in my humble opinion it's not even scary on that level you know it's just i think from what i heard from one of my friends said that it's like a lot to say there's a lot of symbolism in it so i don't think i'm gonna watch it and get scared all right but yeah. um i definitely want to see it and i hopefully by next week i'll watch it very good so well that'll i know that'll be on the agenda the list of things the rundown if you will uh when ramana shows up next week ramana have a great weekend have a great week and we'll see you next friday all right Okay. All thanks. right. Very good. Our next guest is in the studio. I love when guests show up early. And the great Jay Kelly brought in Jeremy Wexler from the Theater Wit. We're going to be talking about emissions, which is a critic's pick. What would you do to get your kid into college is the question. It's been the question in the news, and it's the question to ask in this play. So we'll bring Jeremy on right after this. If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization, and quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp at C-O-R-P as in Paul, dot com to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, The Chicago Reader, and The Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of The Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, March 29th is just moments away. But before we get into said hour number two, we have to thank the following unions for jumping on board and helping bring the Ben Jarofsky show back. Big thank you to the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Big thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us here. And of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of labor hour number two let's go yes thank goodness it is friday march 29th and live from the chicago readers suntime studio on racine avenue this is the ben jarofsky show in this hour of the program we welcome theater director jeremy wexler and it's Illinois State Senator Toy Hutchinson. 
And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Ben Jarofsky here. Jeremy Wexler is in the studio. He is the director of the play Admissions, which is at the Theater Wit, uh, 1229 West Belmont in Chicago. Run, don't walk to get your tickets. Go see this play. Uh, it has to do with admission scandals, and here's the little title. What would you do to get your kid into college? Sounds familiar, folks, huh? That's been in the news lately. People have <laughs> been doing all kinds of things to get you get your kid into any college. You don't have to go to Princeton. You don't have to go to Harvard. You don't have to go to Yale. Good God, I know I didn't go to any of those schools. I didn't have the grades to do it. Uh, but oh, uh, you either, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I was not what you would call an outstanding scholar, Dennis, uh, yeah. back in the day, but uh, that's a whole other story. Me and the ACT. All right, before we bring on Jeremy, uh, you got an update for me, young man? Absolutely, I do. We have a Jesse Smollett update. But first, right now, posted on both Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages, at mm-hmm. Benny J Show on Twitter. Find us, like us, tell your friends, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show, S-H-O-W, in case you didn't know how to spell that one. It's the latest Chicago Reader column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, apparently he's already been getting texts from people bashing him for it here. <laughs> the article is titled, Lori and Tony were missing in action. Uh, ben, tell everyone what they'll learn when oh, reading your latest man. work. Well, you know what? I talked about it earlier today. Uh, everybody wants to be a progressive in the city of Chicago, but nobody wants to do the hard work of being a progressive, all right? And being a progressive in the city of Chicago for the last 20 years means standing up to an all-powerful mayor. And I got to tell you, folks, neither of these two candidates currently running for mayor of the city of Chicago stood up to all powerful mayors they didn't that was not how they got to where they were they got to where they were by generally being allies of all powerful mayors or avoiding fights with all powerful mayors or looking the other way when there was a fight going on with all powerful mayors i could got a whole list of the major fights of the mayor mayor rom years when people on the front lines really could have used some assistance from some powerful people either powerful corporate lawyers like Lori lightfoot or powerful politicians like Tony Prickwinkle. Uh uh, hold on. Uh oh. Are they under the table? Under there? Oh, yeah, there they are. Hey. Everybody else is in the front line. Uh, I don't see anything. So, uh, listen, you may love Lori Lightfoot. You may love Tony Prickwinkle. Or it could be a reverse thing. You just despise someone in the race uh, more than the other person. But that doesn't change the basic facts, folks. These people were not frontline progressives. And I hate to break it to you, ladies and gentlemen, there were no frontline progressives really in this race. So stop telling me that they're progressives, all right? I get that. Ben, you should jump aboard this bandwagon or that bandwagon because this person's the real progressive in the race. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. oh, wait, where were they when Mayor Rahm was closing the mental health clinics in the high crime areas? Were they on the front lines? No, no, no. Where were they when Mayor Rahm sent in the police to spy on the people who protested closing the mental health clinics? Were they on the front lines? No, no, no. So don't tell me. What's that song where they go, no, no, no. Amy Winehouse. I looked at Jay Kelly and he knew. He just beamed it to me. Amy Winehouse. You know that song? Yeah. What what song? Rehab. Rehab. It's called Rehab. No, no, no. So, no, no, no. Yes, he's burning bridges all over people. (laughs) The Nancy Pelosi thing. He's got (laughs) Pelosi haters texting him. Now he's got both Lightfoot and Preckwinkle people. Ah, That's why we like him. All right, but go check that out, everybody. A little weekend reading material. The latest column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Go check it out after today's show, all right? After. After. Now to our Smollett update. Uh, Now, we all know. We all know that our 
mayor is fired up about all 16 <laughs> charges against Jesse Smollett yeah. faking a hate crime. Where is the accountability in the system? Mm. You cannot have because of a person's position. Wow. One set of rules apply to them. Oh, no, no and can't another set of oh. rules apply to everybody else. <laughs> in another way, uh. you're seeing this play out in the universities where people pay extra to get their kids a special position in universities. Wow. Now you have a person because of their position and background who's getting treated in a way that nobody else would ever, sorry about that. Oh, would, I know. Don't get near, I'm doing near my sermon here. <laughs> that would ever get close to this type uh. of treatment. Yeah, so we all know how <laughs> Mayor Rahm feels, all right? Sm oh, Smollett has now been asked to pay the God. city of Chicago $130,000 for the cost of the investigation. But thanks to Ben's beloved Bright One, the Chicago Sun-Times, and Franz Spielman, we've learned that Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson, he's ready to move on. Is that right? That's right. Let's play the uh, audio here. I this is from the Fran, the latest Franz Spielman show. Right. Eddie Johnson was in the building. I don't know. We Eddie Johnson is in the building. Should have grabbed him for an interview, but we missed him. But Franz Spielman got him. Here is Franz Spielman and Eddie Johnson. Wasn't it? I mean, this guy, <laughs> how much more are we going to have to talk about this? You know, hopefully, you know, at, at some point, we all have to recognize we have to turn the page on this thing, you know. But um, we can't turn the page while yeah. all of this stuff is going on. Mark Garagos, the attorney for Jesse Smollett, literally said the case was dropped because the Chicago Police Department investigation was fatally flawed and it was going to become embarrassing. Well, first of all, the case wasn't dropped. The deferred prosecution or diversion programs are designed for people that are guilty of low-level crimes. That's what he went through. It's not designed for innocent people. The fact that he forfeited his bond and, and agreed to community service, that's what guilty people do. Innocent people go to court and present their case in front of a judge or a jury, and then they're proclaimed innocent, not guilty. So all of that is just rhetoric. And, and that's fine. You know, at the end it's of the day. It's not fine with people, though. Well, you know what? All right. For more, go check out Chicago.SunTimes.com, the Fran Spielman Show. Her latest guest, <laughs> Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson. Oh, Fran Spielman does a great job. And she was uh, going at him hard. You know, it's a... a since I have a director in the studio, I am now going to quote Shakespeare. Oh, well, that's that. right. Bring it on. <laughs> Jeremy works and goes, oh, I want to hear this. Yeah, the me lady too. doth protest too much. Huh? That's from some <laughs> Shakespeare play. I can't remember. Oh, it's Jake Kelly at the break. Uh, but it's from some Shakespeare. Is it Macbeth? Yes. Ooh, Damn, at, man. <laughs> look at the brain on Ben. Hey, man. I went to Evanston High School. Did I tell you that? Uh, anyway, uh, and I think Eddie Johnson, you know, we have to turn the page. And then he immediately goes, but let's not forget X, Y, Z. But we got to turn the page. But did I tell you? Anyway, he's not ready to turn the page, and neither am I. All right, we have Jeremy uh, uh, Wexler in the studio. As I said before, he's the director of the play Admissions. It's at Theater Wit. Has it started? Has it opened? Uh, previews. We open this coming week. All right. Now, before I get to admissions, uh, you heard all that, and you've been living in the city of Chicago. You've been following the uh, uh, Jesse Smollett case. As a director, as a theater man, what's your, you know, how would you make this? What, what, like, what are the points you would accentuate if you were doing this as a play? I guess I don't know. I mean, plays are always about the personal, right? The, the the human part is the thing I'm interested in. So my question is, you know, when the story first broke, the idea was he was doing this for some sort of contract negotiation, <laughs> yeah. which at yeah. a kind of basic level, just being in, you know, peripherally connected in that side of show business, I suppose, also doesn't make any sense. 
neither <laughs> neither one of the stories that were advanced yeah. for this makes sense. Yeah. So I think a play would really try to probe, you know, what motivated these actions from start to finish. Not only on his case, you know, there's a version where he was absolutely attacked and, you know, the police fabricated a whole bunch. I've seen that version online. I've seen the version where he hired all these people and it's a it's a complete show. The real question is like what personally drove all of these people to create these different narratives that are now competing in the public sphere? That's that's what I think is so fascinating about it. And that's where the kind of tension would be in a play. Yeah, absolutely. And I had thought about it uh, until you said that, that the open the the. The notion is that he concocted this scheme, again, this is the allegation, in order to what build his case to get more money from uh, the producers of Empire, which is, that is a curious, well, God, guy got mugged. Let's give him more money. Have you ever it's, heard that It happen? is definitely a contract bank shot. I mean, that's why that story doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why you would do that as a performer. There are easier ways, like asking for more money would work <laughs> you know yeah. that's the thing so i don't know what, what what happened there and i don't know why that became this narrative about why he would do this i think if, if this is not true he did it for much more complex and interesting reasons yeah yeah maybe he felt i don't know i don't want to take a, a subterranean dive into the mind of jesse smollett but maybe he thought he was going to be written out of the show so who you know it could have been a little deep, little deeper than that, but um, anyway, uh, let's move on to admissions. I'm going to do everything I can, uh, Jeremy, to um, avoid going into discussion of the last play. I I think it was that I saw that you directed was called Bad Jews. It was absolutely ec- excellent on so many levels. Same author. S- same author. Yeah. Like, did I know that? Jay's Jay, like, I told you that. All right, I guess I did know that. He did another play. It was in New York, right? Uh, in between these two, didn't he? Uh, we also did uh, Joshua signi- Harmon. Is yes. So we did Significant Other. That was also at Theater Wit. Okay. Um, uh, after New York, and then he had a, uh, uh, one other show that just op- was at the Roundabout Theater this last season. Okay, this guy is a very uh, he, he he gets at the heart. Uh, it, well, at least in Bad Jews, with the characters would be going at each other, just fighting at each other, you know, like tooth and claw, and just really exposing secrets that they probably wouldn't want people to know about. Is it a similar situation in admissions? Yeah, I mean, his his interest in the kind of dramatics of the event are always about how these kind of social and political pressure points that exist in us are kind of prone to fracture and what happens when they fracture. So in Bad Jews, that was the story about kind of, you know, modern, you know, young young Jews in America and trying to find their relationship to the, the kind of history and culture and the religion and all the characters in that play pull themselves into a different position in relationship to that. And they don't want all those things. They want one of themselves to be right. Who's right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, after every performance of Bad Jews, I would say, so who should have, you know, who was correct? And the audience would simultaneously shout out different names, and then they just fight with each other. And I didn't have to have a post-show discussion at all. I just mediated. And yeah, it was amazing. And so there's a similar dynamic at work in in admissions, um, in terms of like the ethics and and who is correct and who is doing what they should do, and is what these people are doing ethical is really the kind of core questions. All right. Now, uh, without giving away too much of the secrets of the show, uh, you know, I, don't, it's, I just went through this with Romana and the movie Oz. By the way, have you seen us yet? Not yet. Okay. I've been in rehearsal. All right. You've been in rehearsal. You have a good excuse. Uh, without giving away too many secrets, give folks the, uh, the general sense of what happens in the play admissions. Uh, so the play is uh, centered around uh, the character of Sherry Mason, who is the director of admissions at a uh, high-end New England uh, boarding prep school. Um, 
she's been working for 15 years uh, to increase the school's diversity. So she has managed after 15 years of work to get it to 18% students of color, which she takes tremendous pride in. Uh, and the play is about what happens when her son, who is a straight-A student and you know, a star pupil, does not get into Yale, which he has always wanted to get into since he was eight. And what happens when his best friend, Perry, uh, who is biracial, does get into Yale. Mm. And Charlie, her son, is convinced this is because of uh, reverse racial discrimination. And it's about what happens in this kind of super progressive white family uh, as they try to wrestle with the kind of question of like, you know, what are their ideals? How, how do you use privilege? What do they do? What should they do to try to make this happen for Charlie? Um, uh, what can they do? And what's what's right? How do you be good? How do you be a good person and still kind of operate inside the system? Mm -hmm. And so the play could be subtitled Bad Whites. <laughs> it is. That is kind of amazing. And now that's our new tagline. Thanks, Ben. Uh, fantastic. Um, White people yes. behaving badly. That's, oh, that's um, a, uh, it, it really is. I mean, it, the fascinating thing about this play, like in Bad Jews, all the characters actually mean well. Mm -hmm. And they all do tremendous harm. Um, yeah. Uh, Incidentally, and this and and this is because of this kind of the the tension points and how education and and college admissions in particular are this flashpoint for all of these questions of white anxiety and um, and you know sense of persecution and the sense that there's a pie that has to be only so many slices available at the pie and you have yeah. to divvy it up and all of these kind of weird cultural beliefs that exist specifically within I would argue you know upper middle class white people um and how if you are kind of you know trying to be a, a, a solid progressive citizen how do you reconcile that worldview mm -hmm. the belief that you do have to get into the right college that yeah. there is a right college that that makes a huge difference that if you don't get into college are you uh doing your own child a disservice yeah. you know if you know someone at yale do you call them you know lots of people can't are you taking an uh, advantage of that um so this has been fascinating at, at Two levels to work on because on the one hand uh my daughter is currently applying to cps for the selective enrollment programs and i believe they find out today okay i think they find out during the preview tonight and i will get a text message <laughs> from her letting me know frantic message yes yeah um and that being exposed to that process and how chicago kind of tries to manage these questions and 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 insulate itself against gaming the system has been pretty fascinating for me to yeah. learn about and then of course you know the New York Times on the 12th broke this enormous story from this FBI investigation um, uh, that really uh, plays into all of these kind of questions that are surround the play. The play is not concerned about bribery. It's not about bribing people and, the, and that overt criminal act. It's about the mindset of the perspective bias of privilege that lets that be possible. And that's what I've been fascinated about watching the news play out. I'm talking with Jeremy Wexler. He is the director of the new play at Theater Wit. It's called Admissions. Here's the title. What would you do to get your kid into college? The play uh, is certainly topical given the investigation uh, that Jeremy just alluded to. Uh, talk a little bit about what you just said. I just wrote this down, uh, Jeremy, getting into the right school. Uh, I've been through this on both levels as the kid trying <laughs> I'm sorry. I just thought a flashback to my days as a young scholar trying to convince a college that I was worthy of admissions. And as a parent uh, whose kids were going through that whole process, um, I, I had this sense that really what we're saying is that if you don't have the ticket 
you know what I'm saying? You don't get to ride. And if you don't get on that train, I'm, this is a terrible metaphor. I don't know where I'm going with it. Uh, you're not going to get it. You're never going to leave the station. But somehow or other that, uh, that you know, if you want to make make a success on like life is kind of divided into winners and losers and if you want to be a winner you have to get a ticket you know what i'm saying you got to get that you got to be allowed into mm-hmm. the right place the right car etc i think that's kind of what some people's oh, minds metaphor is. master hey, man i'm just like a poet dude <laughs> let it all hang out i quoted shakespeare already today oh yeah that's what you're right. uh but uh that's yeah, i mean I, I do think this is this is the kind of core tension for sherry she firmly believes this as much as she believes sherry being a character in the play play, Mm -hmm. um as much as she believes that you know she needs to dramatically increase the diversity balance in the school that which she works she also believes that charlie should get to go to yale um and and it's really about what people you know people will give up and this belief that people have that you you get on this train yes you get on this specific ride and if you do everything right you get to this kind of end success i remember when my daughter was three and i went to a preschool fair and i went to maury meyer preschool which i attended some time ago maury meyer or maury mages maybe maury mages yeah and i walked up to this table and they're like oh well that will certainly look at her application because of course she'd be a legacy I'm thinking, a legacy for preschool? (laughs) What the hell is happening? And then... Yeah. um, But then... And then they... We went to their fundraiser. Yeah. uh, And all the parents were telling me about the school, that it's a feeder school for oh, yeah, the, ele- the better elementary schools and that those el- the, and that will get you into the better high schools like Aladdin or a Parker and then yeah. or a lab and then from that you could, and I was like I have to start her on this road right now that yeah. seems excessive yeah. I think this is a load of crap I don't I don't buy it and um uh and she ended up going somewhere else uh for preschool but <laughs> legacy um, a legacy yeah. but it, it's but nobody th- said this with with a sense of irony yeah and that was the thing I thought about when we started working on this play the, you know that they believe that you, if you don't take these steps, you don't do these things, you're actually doing your future self a huge disservice yeah. or your child a disservice. Um, and so, as when we've been doing all this research, so is this true? Like, is Sherry right or wrong? Yeah. Um, and it's been pretty fascinating because uh, uh, there was a um, uh, there was a Psychology Today study that showed that what college you went to actually made no difference in your happiness, your reported happiness uh, as an adult. There was no correlation between going to the best of school and you know a, a community college, uh, none whatsoever. And then there was this amazing economic study that was done where the question was, how do you tell if going to Yale, for example, really makes a difference? Does it really change your life? Uh-huh. Does it open doors that would never be open to you? And how do you study this? Because you can't study alternate timelines to find out what <laughs> happens if the person didn't go to Yale. This yeah. isn't Star Trek. And, and yeah. um, and what the, these economists did is they looked at uh, earning power of the, the just straight up earning power of the uh, the student, and the the criteria was not did they attend Yale. The actual marker was did they apply to Yale. It was not whether Yale did not give special magical skills in the business or entertainment world or what have you, but the ambition of the student that they believed they could get into Yale, that was the distinguishing factor didn't matter where they went. The, the, the success differentiation was about, do I believe I could be at Yale? And if you believe that, then your later earning power was unaffected by whether or not you actually attended. Yeah, in other words, there was nothing that you would get at Yale 
<laughs> that would be so beneficial that you would mean you would make more money, et cetera, et cetera. It was just the sense of confidence that you have in yourself, the sense of entitlement that you feel in yourself, that you belong in Yale meant that you would go on and be. That was the key indicator that, of success in the future. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's that's what that's what this economic study suggested, um, which really kind of put then these parents wow. who did all this kind of crazy <laughs> stuff to get their kids into this college. It really makes this kind of this crazy you know, tragedy of white privilege where they did all of this stuff that they did not need to do. Yeah. It was, there was no need to do any of these things, not just for the fact that, I mean, all right, first of all, if you're Felicity Huffman, you should probably just put that on the child's application because the school will certainly say, oh, hey, I wonder if Felicity Huffman would give us money in the future. You yeah. don't even have to give money up front. You could even offer to run a, fun, a fundraiser. You'd go to the top of the dean's consideration list. I mean, I don't know why all that happened. Um, you could use that power and privilege. Absolutely, um, yeah. Uh, but even more importantly, they're trying to pull all these strings for an end result that is not necessary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Felicity Huffman, of course, uh, is the actress uh, who was, I think she was indicted. She was one of the yes. defendants now in this uh, a federal case of um, che cheating the system to try to get kids in the universes that they uh, don't deserve to be in. Now, uh, Jeremy, what you're saying makes so much sense. Uh, this, the, the notion that, yeah, it really isn't a, a be-all thing if you go to Yale or Harvard or Princeton or what have you. Uh, you can be successful wherever you go as long as you like you work hard, you're true to yourself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, yes, those are things that we preach. Right. But you just admitted, and I've been there, Jay Kelly's been there. We've all been there. Our kids are advancing down the line, you know. When your kid is in that system and you're waiting for that letter that comes back, do you believe what you just preached, or you do you feel do you see there's a little Felicity Huffman in you that uh, feels like there's some key, you know, uh, what, what benefit will be gained uh, if your if your kid gets into that this or that school? Oh yes, I mean you know it's not that I don't think I'm immune from the system. You can't live in the system and not it's structural racism because it's a structure, it's freestanding. So it doesn't need your participation, you're part of it, no matter what you do. And so, yes, I would prefer, for instance, that my daughter get into one of the selective enrollment schools that she has applied to. Um, if not, she's going to Sullivan. I, Sullivan seemed perfectly fine. Um, I did notice it only has a 42% graduation rate, so I have some concerns about that. You know, I don't know what we would do, uh, and we will see. Um, but it did, it did let me say, like, I would, and, but then, <laughs> this is uh, so not about the play. My publicist is going to kill me. But so it's just an interview about me and my daughter. It's fine. Um, the, um, the kind of questions that I was asking is like, well, you know, all of her classmates all were getting tutored for these standardized tests. And she, we did not tutor her. Um, partially because I didn't realize that was the thing we were supposed to do because it was a standardized test. Why would you go to a tutoring school? Um, but... Uh, had I realized everyone was tutoring them and had I looked at the numbers of the scores you needed to get into the selective enrollment schools, uh, her friends live in their the Chicago's built into these different neighborhoods for different kind of tiers of uh, application. As um, uh, So tier four is the wealthier neighborhoods yeah. and it kind of scales down. Uh, so most of her friends live in a tier four neighborhood. Uh, they're all getting tutored to go into uh, to select for enrollment, and as a consequence, if you're in a tier four neighborhood, the average score to get into Walter Payton, for example, for example, is 99%. Um, 
we're not in that that tier we live in a tier two neighborhood and so mm-hmm. um uh she does not have that same bar but i was thinking well obviously if you have money and you're in a tier four neighborhood you would have to tutor your kid to get them even that extra point and a half you would have to do that you'd have to buy into the system mm-hmm. because otherwise you are you are disadvantaging right. your child yeah. but then you are using your money to get an edge on the system that's trying to is trying to be immune to these these uh, manipulations and it's it really strikes how inescapable it is that that's absolutely it gets in your head there's no question about it and then uh there's it's actually and then there's two people involved in the, in the decision if the two parents are, are around so it's not just <laughs> it's not just your attitude right. there's another parent yeah. you know what i mean there's either a husband or a wife and uh my solution the ben solution all right here we go. Right. I'm going to have the Ben solution. <laughs> I've been quoting Shakespeare. I've been making literary allusions. Now I'm going to solve this problem. My solution is that all the names of all the students who are applying for high school are put into a giant machine that just randomly shoots them <laughs> to different schools so that there's no uh, separating. There's no, like, some school gets all the quote-unquote smart kids, and another school gets all the unruly kids, and another school gets all the good basketball players, and another school gets all the good actors. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. It's like, uh, Ben, you're going to Sullivan. Then you're going to Sullivan. Jeremy, you're going to Curie. Dennis, you're going to Simeon. Dennis looks yeah. up. Jay Kelly, I don't want to hear any anything. You're going to Mather right now. Get over there. You're going to Marshall High. And that way, A, you have integration. Sure. Right? You'd have not only racial and ethnic integration, you'd have like behavioral integration. You'd have like a knucklehead like Ben in, in school with a really smart, focused kid who knew what he or she was doing. And you know what? Man, the teachers, that'd be a challenge. It's one thing to coach a team of basketball players if they're all the best kids and you're able to recruit. How about if you just open up the door and whoever's on your team is on your team? That's a sign of great coaching and teaching. What do you think of the Ben solution? I think the Ben solution is fine. I think your your transportation problem is pretty serious because if you've got to go to school two and a half hours away, why are we punishing that kid with a five-hour commute each day? So let's <laughs> let's. I think you got some logistical problems there, but uh, yeah, I mean. I, although I will say, like, I've been extremely impressed with watching CPS revamp themselves and return, and tune themselves into a, a serious educational powerhouse. Yeah. Um, and it's frustrating because it takes so long. It takes so long to remake a system this big. But honestly, you know, almost all the schools I went to, I was genuinely impressed that the effort being put in at all of these levels. So I, I feel actually pretty good about the public education future in Chicago. All right. Very good. Uh, my next guest, I always love it when my guests come on time, the immortal, the great state senator, Toy Hutchinson. Before I bring Toy on, Jeremy Wexler, one more time, give folks all the information they need to know if they want to see admissions. So admissions is at Theater Wit, uh, 1229 West Belmont, www.theaterwit.org for tickets, or you can call us at 773-975-8150. It is an astonishing evening uh, of pretty spectacular fireworks and dramatic battles. You will not be sad. You will leave the theater wondering, I do not know who is right. And uh, so it is, uh, when does the show actually open? Uh, Opening is the 1st of April. 1st of April. But uh, what do they call it now? I just blanked on the word. 
previews. previews are in now. Yes, thank yes. you. Okay. Previews this weekend, so we still got a few tickets left for those. All right, very good. Uh, Jeremy Wexler, thanks so much for coming. It's a blast talking to you. We got Toy Hutchinson on deck talking politics, 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 and politics <laughs> with the great Toy Hutchinson. Be right back. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. That commercial breaks over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times, and we are covering everything. We had a half hour of talk uh, with Ramon Hussein talking about uh, Justice Smollett. Uh, we had Jeremy Wexeron talking about his new play, Admissions. You quoted the, Shakespeare? I quoted Shakespeare. I made really bizarre allusions. And now we have the legendary state senator. Legendary. <laughs> I'm like, Toy Hutchinson <laughs> is in the studio. I don't know if I can be a legend yet. <laughs> oh, man, you are a legend in your time. And uh, so you have an update before for us before we go in? Or Actually, just we'll, we'll do an update before we ride out of here. You get in the toy here. All and right. Toy, hey, make sure you're just talking to that microphone. Okay. All right. All right. All right. The great Toy Hutchinson. And uh, Toy, it's always so much fun to have you on the show. I'm so happy you're back on air. Me I'm so too. happy you're back on air. <laughs> this is a voice we cannot not have. Uh, God bless you. And uh, oh my God, so much is happening. All right, so Toy, uh, you are a state senator. Everybody knows this, but I'm going to say it anyway because some people may not know you're sta- a state senator uh, from the South suburbs, uh, and you are of the Democratic persuasion. I, am. Uh, I might add. And uh, so, since the last time I talked to you, I don't, be- I don't think the Pritzker administration the pritzker reign had begun no it was it was cl- it was close it was election night it was election you it were with, election me on election night. Night. with me on election night oh my god I remember we were saying we were trying to call like who was going to win and by how much and i'm like kwame's got it by like 10 points <laughs> wait a minute weren't you one of the people that was really nervous about kwame or was that terry no, i was no Cosgrove. terry was really nervous i was super calm 
You were super calm. I was super calm. Terry was just manipulating me. And if you're listening, <laughs> Terry, I know what you were doing. Just trying to get me to say more positive things about Kwame, but I think it was in the bag anyway. Uh, but yes, uh, so how have things changed? Have they changed in Springfield with the new governor? Uh, there's definitely a different mood in the Capitol. We'll say that much. It's uh, We went through... You know, quite a quite a difficult time for a really long period of time. That that 736 day budget crisis really mm-hmm. wore people out. And I think what people saw was the sheer number of folks who chose not to run again, or decided to retire, or you know, ended up just like I can't do this anymore. I mean, the building literally shifted. It took a lot. That was long and sustained and really really difficult. So the mood in the building is um, a lot lighter now. And, and, and I would even say in the beginning, because he did so much outreach to the Republican Party, it was the mood across the bill. It was both sides. That wasn't something that was just unique to Democrats, even though we were happy with you know all the seats we won. So it's a, it's a different environment, but now it's intense. And there's a lot on the tarmac. And there's a lot on the tarmac that has to happen before May 31st. Yeah. All right. Let's talk so about some of So with all of that, say, yeah. it's like... Boy, we have six weeks, and there's like two. There's a legislative break two weeks in April, so we have a lot of work to do in a short amount of time. But he came in and hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. First at minimum wage. Now we're moving into um, budget discussions, capital discussions, cannabis discussions, graduated income income tax discussions. I mean, there's just a lot going on, and then you know, folks are falling into their camps. The caucuses are at work. It's it's humming. I've been walking around the Capitol with a bill file that is so heavy you'd think it was already april like that we were doing the march up to 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 may already all right well let's talk about the bill files let's talk about some of the bills that are in uh your portfolio that you're concerned with uh is there anyone you want to talk about particular number one uh we've been doing some work now on maternal mortality and uh really just because there's been a lot of reports lately about how american women Mm -hmm. are dying at five times the rate preventable causes within a year after childbirth than any other women in industrialized countries. African-American women are dying at six times the rate of everybody else here, which means African-American women are dying at almost third world country rates within a year after childbirth. And so we've, me, Senator Christina Castro, some uh, members in the House, um, Representative Mary Flowers, Representative Robin Gable, a number of us are, are really trying to um, figure out what role the state has to play in that. And so I have an implicit bias bill talking about, you know, unconscious biases, that things happen when you go into healthcare situations. We have a large bill to look at, or we have a task force now to look at um, home birth and adding doulas and things like that to childbirth, you know, to, to services after you have the baby. So that's one big thing that a number of the women are working on. When I say a number of the women, because we have so many now, there's 20 women in the Senate. This is now... Illinois General Assembly now has one of the highest percentages of women elected in the country. How many women were before this last election? 20 sounds like a lot of women 20, in the 20 Senate. 20 out of 59. So this is high. Yeah, this that's is really a lot. High. Yeah, for I mean, it, it should be 50-50 at least, right? right? 18 on the Democratic side, yeah. two on the Republican side. Well, those Republicans, man. 20 of us. Do Republicans <laughs> know that women have the right to vote? Um, I'm going to let that lady answer that. <laughs> we should have an investigation. <laughs> they need to answer that. Uh, but, uh, all right, implicit bias bill. Uh, there's a lot embedded in that title alone. Why don't you break it down for us? Yeah, a lot of people will say um, that implicit bias is, one, it's usually met with fear because people will immediately go to that it's just white people discriminating against black people. And mm-hmm. it, implicit bias is big. I mean, all of us come with, where we came from and the lives we lived and the 
and the categories of information we have in our head and it and it affects how the the instant judgments that we make on people then lots of times that are just unconscious mm-hmm. and that is uh borne out from a gender perspective from a language perspective from a racial perspective and sometimes it's within communities as well so it's big but what we're seeing is that like you take the story of serena williams so she world-class athlete mm-hmm. access to all kinds of money her you know in a, in a socioeconomic background out of the stratosphere at this point yep she has a baby and she says afterwards, I don't feel good. I can't breathe. I don't, I can't catch a breath. I don't feel good. And everyone said, your tests are normal and you, everything looks fine. The baby's fine. You're doing fine. She's like, no, I cannot. I can't. This Something doesn't feel right. And this is a woman who knows her body. Mm-hmm. She's a world-class athlete. Finally, she demanded, no, something is wrong. I have a history of blood clots. I want an MRI with die. And they did it and found a clot. She could have died. Now, if that happens to someone with access and money and amazing insurance, imagine when you have people who don't trust the medical establishment and, or walk into offices and aren't really comfortable saying everything that's happened, or when the data shows that black children who are in pediatric environments sometimes get um, pain medication less likely than their white counterparts, or women in general are treated differently when we're considered to be, to, considered to be being dramatic about mm-hmm. pain. Yeah. And so there are all kinds of things that kind of go unmet. And so with all of the complexities of the healthcare industry, there should not be any reason why in 2019, the only country in the world whose uh, maternal mortality rates are going up is the United States. And in that, in all of the reproductive fights that we have, all reproductive justice issues, we spend a lot of time arguing about the baby. You spend next to no time defending and protecting and arguing about the woman in the situation. So it was an interesting thing to pick up and it was a way for me to say to even my colleagues on the opposite side of the conversation when it comes to reproductive rights and choice and justice and all of those things, Mm -hmm. that if you really wanna protect families, you really wanna start looking at protecting women, then there's no reason why in 2019 these data should look like this. Well, uh, so what are some of the the rules that you could put into the rule book, into the law book, uh, that would guard against implicit uh, bias? Well, one of it, it, the big thing really is training and conversation. We've gotta get people to understand that, um, actually, let me backtrack. I normally say, for those of us who are woke, we gotta make some room for people who are waking up because we want them to wake up. We want them to see that um, everybody has this, everybody does this, and when you are aware of it, it's the only way that you can to take steps to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. So we gotta get to the medical schools and the training and how you know how that happens. We gotta get to now long practicing healthcare professionals who are already practicing to say that, look, when you guys do cultural and diversity stuff, that's not the same as implicit bias, and we need to expand that conversation. Um, hospitals across the, the country are working on this. We've got some really good work happening in the state of Illinois right now, but it has attracted the attention of lawmakers. And what I try to ward against, for me personally, whenever I pick up any piece of legislation, is that I don't file bills just to file bills for bill's sake. So one of the things that's also come out of California is this Birth Equity Act. And so we'll be following that and try to figure out what best practices are coming out of states that have really started to delve into this and see where we can take some of the things that we've learned here, Mm -hmm. like how to identify opioid use in in pregnant women who may not want to admit that they have an issue when they're in the delivery situation, and expand the scope so that the minute the baby comes out, everybody rushes to the baby. (laughs) 
from the policymakers to the healthcare professionals to everybody. I mean, even in committee when we were sitting there talking about it, the minute we started talking about drugs and babies, the women went completely out the conversation yeah. again. So it is something we have to keep drumming, keep working on, keep doing. There's now congressional activity. Um, Congresswoman Robin Kelly, and she's done the the um, um, task force on women and girls. Mm-hmm. They've now picked up this birth um, act federally, so they'll be looking at this at women across the country, and it's our job at the state to say what does Illinois need to do better, and how do we fund it, and how do we make it a priority. When you think back at the, the example you gave, Serena Williams, a great tennis player, and you talk about that story where she uh, said she wasn't feeling well, and the doctor sort of dismissed it, and then they she finally forced them to look into it, and they saw that she had a clot, and she could have died if, she, mm-hmm. if they didn't address it. So the bias there, follow me where I'm going with that, do you think that's a bias that's more accentuated because she's a black woman? Do you think that bias exists for everybody because doctors know everything and they're smart and you're oh, not? It's a, it's, it can be a combination of all of that. And, and right now what we know is the general practice of obstetrics is largely male dominated. It's largely male dominated. So sometimes this is not race. Sometimes this really is just gender. Mm-hmm. And as a person who lives in the intersection, mm-hmm. like I can't draw a line down my, the middle of myself and tell you whether I'm more woman or more black. <laughs> I'm black and I'm a woman, and this is how yeah. I present to the world. And yeah. so, so either so now if, if I'm in, if I'm in, encountering someone who thinks I'm dramatic because I'm a woman, yeah. or thinks I can handle massive amounts of pain because I'm black, <laughs> those are those are two things wow. that we need to necessarily look at, and it and it crosses cultures. It crosses. There are a number of different things like within the Indian culture and the Mexican culture and the Puerto Rican culture and the black culture and the white culture and all the rest of that stuff that happens in that moment when you are with a healthcare professional. Have you ever seen that commercial where they're talking about men who will go into a car shop and have a million and one questions <laughs> and then they sit in there yeah. with a doctor and they start talking about the prostate and they're like, any questions? No, I'm good. I don't want to no, know like, about I'm, it. I'm good. And yeah. we do have this thing where you go to the doctor and you want to trust your healthcare professional and there are a lot of amazing healthcare professionals out there, but we do fall back and go, they know more than we do, so maybe we shouldn't ask. Well, now that we're talking about the differences between men and women when you go to a doctor, I'm gonna throw this at you, Toy. Men are scared of their vulnerabilities in a way, in my humble, here I'm generalizing, I'm doing this great generalization, but men are scared of their vulnerabilities, I believe, in a way uh, that so many, I'll just put it this way, so many the women in my life are not, okay? So, so many women in my life, and I'm talking about my mother, my wife, they go into a doctor, got a list of questions, Mm -hmm. and you're gonna answer each one of these questions, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. You couldn't even get my dad to go to the doctor. My Mm -hmm. mom would be, if you made that doctor's appointment yet, oh, leave me alone. the same way myself right and if you if you like push that out a little bit further so then i'll say i'll I'll do a cultural reference that's in the opposite thing so like my people in my grandmother's generation they remember the tuskegee experiments yeah so there was a there were a lot of those folks in that generation that did not trust hospitals didn't trust doctors did didn't trust doctors that didn't look like them didn't trust that they would none of that Mm -hmm. there are a number of things that happen um within cultures between you know marital cultures like when they come here and women have a little bit more freedom and the ability to move around and and they may not feel comfortable telling their husbands what's Mm -hmm. wrong with them much less telling a male doctor then you have cultures who won't allow themselves to be seen by a male doctor because you could only be seen by a woman Mm -hmm. that that is where the cultural things and implicit bias hit an intersection that unfortunately things go missing things go unnoticed things fall through the cracks and when that happens 
in black women's cases in this particular issue, it's it's ending in death rates that are just horrifying. Mm -hmm. And so um, I always promise myself that every single session that I'm in, every every session that I have down in the Capitol, I spend some time working in this basket, in this arena with the health of women and girls. And it's a passion thing for me. I mean, I started with uh, the mandatory filing of rape kits in 2009. I've done stalking, domestic violence, sexual assault on campuses, um, human trafficking. And then you get into this, and obviously all the reproductive economic justice stuff that I'm just absolutely passionate about. But when you get to this now, this is an opportunity for people all across that spectrum to show how much you really care about women and women's health. I'm speaking with Toy Hutchinson, state senator from the South Suburbs. Uh, we're, we're talking about the bills uh, that uh, are in her portfolio. And we, we spent a lot of time on that fascinating discussion, an implicit uh, bias bill. Uh, oh, my goodness. And it came on the day, Toy, at the Reader. We had a diversity training session today. That's where I was in the morning. And one of the things they did, they showed um, a picture it, uh, let me try to do justice to this toy. This is not directly related to uh, medical issues, but they showed a pic picture in a, of an elevator scene. And at the foreground, at the front of the picture, was a black man. And in the back of the picture is a white woman, and she's clutching her purse. Mm -hmm. And they, they were like, what's wrong with this picture? Mm -hmm. You know, and then the, and we got in the whole issue. It was like, as soon as uh, a woman sees a black man, she just starts clutching her purse. And it's lots of times unconscious because it's a it, that is a direct result of the images that we are shown so if i have conversations with some of my colleagues and i say have you ever had a black teacher have you ever had a black dentist have you ever had a black doctor have you ever had a black principal mm -hmm. have you did you ever have you ever had a black lawyer and then i talked to many of my colleagues who really had to stand and think about it and go you know what no so if you're never shown if you don't normally see pictures of excellence, if you don't normally see pictures of people who get, or how many times I walk into a room and they say, you don't look like a senator. And I get to say, what does a senator look like? Because here I am. So in these moments, we have got to get comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. Wow, do people still say that to you? Yeah, which is funny too, or just like, yeah, how long have you, then when I say 10 years, they're like, you haven't been there 10 years. So I don't know, I don't know if I get the, I don't look like a senator. Well, you I do look, look young, young, yeah. Or if I don't look like a senator, cause, and now you can't say woman, there's 20 of us out of 59 now. Right. So, I mean, it's, but you know, across the country, uh, women elected at the state and state legislatures, we're only 25%. That's Toy Hutchinson, I'm Ben Jarosky. Take a break, we'll come right back with more political discussion right after this. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read The Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. 
Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, man, take us to the weekend. All right, that's State Senator Toy Hutchinson playing piano. I'll tell you something about State Senator Toy Hutchinson. Not, does, not only does she have a whole bunch of bills in her portfolio, she could play the piano. <laughs> I did take I did take six years of piano lessons. I did not know that. I did. I so you could actually top, play what well, they're playing I, right no, now? No, I could play chopsticks. That's about oh, okay. six, six years, years you got up to chopsticks. I got a, no, I got past that, but I forgot it. Oh, you forgot it all? <laughs> well, there's a piano writer. I don't know. We, for some reason, we have a keyboard in here. Mm. Uh, Toy Hutchinson will be playing her favorite hits from the Stevie Wonder's play, songbook. Oh, right. Uh, um, I was just listening to the talking book. Are you old enough to know what talking book is? It's a Stevie Wonder album from 1972. Yeah. Well, I was born night. in 73, though. Okay, well. But yeah. Yeah, you know music. It, I mean, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. You were born the year I graduated high school. Good God. Yeah, I was. <laughs> uh, anyway, we have much, much more to talk about with Toy. But, D, you got an update for me? Absolutely. Before we get out of here, we want to remind everyone to find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. We are at Benny J Show. That's B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, not J-A-Y, the letter J Show. Uh, like us on Facebook, by the way. Once we hit 1,000 likes on the Facebook page, we will have our next caption contest. And right now, Ben, we are at 902 likes. 902. Yeah, That's they right. blew us up. We had over 4,000. Yeah, we were at 4,000. Hey, I want to talk about I'm not allowed to talk about that, huh? And then Ben got fired and I <laughs> got rid of our Facebook page. But hey, you know, starting from the bottom. Yeah, That's fine. Right. We're almost okay. at 1,000 right now. Starting from the bottom. Hey. Now I'm here. Now we're here <laughs> at the Sun Times. Yeah. And uh, Ben, Ben, by the way, you see that mountain up ahead? Oh. See that? Yeah. That's 1,000 likes. Oh, okay. Yeah, keep your head down. We'll get there soon enough, keep okay, buddy? Keep your head no to singing. the sky. Oh, sorry. Got to keep the listeners. <laughs> we got them. Now we got to keep them. Okay, but no, head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. Once we hit 1,000 likes, we will have our next caption contest. So if you're listening to this at the moment and you've yet to like the Benny J Show on Facebook and you know who you are, I'm talking to you. Today's the day, or if you're late listening on the download, tonight's the night. Like us on Facebook so we can have our next caption contest. Ben's latest Chicago Reader column is posted on the page as well. Oh, people are texting him, pissed off about it. It's fantastic. <laughs> They're all mad at me now. I'm mad oh, to see everybody yeah. mad at me. Yeah, he loves burning bridges. That's why we like him. All right, now <laughs> to our update. Boy, Donald Trump is on a roll oh, no. after last night's Trump rally oh, in Michigan. God. The collusion delusion <laughs> is over. <laughs> Yeah. What a president. After that, oh, and we got one more. The Democrats have to now decide whether they will continue defrauding the public with ridiculous bullshit. Whoa. And we can That's say that now, by the way. Toy. Yeah, yeah. Not on the radio anymore. Yeah. That's yeah. your president. Yeah. Well, after, 45. After that uh, rally, President Donald Trump today repeated his threat to close down the border between the United States and Mexico. But this time, he noted he would act next week mm. if Mexico does not step up. We have the audio here from our president. And watch the mouth, would you please, Donald Trump? They have the strongest immigration laws anywhere in the world. And we have the weakest, the most pathetic laws. Number one, Congress has to act. And number two, Mexico, they make so much money from the United States and so many other things, so many other assets. They have to grab it and they have to stop it. And if they don't stop them, we're closing the border. They'll yeah. close it. And we'll, we'll keep it closed <laughs> for a long time. I'm not playing games. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not playing games this time. I really mean it. He not only is going to close the border, D, 
He's going to make Mexico pay for it. Uh, remember that one about yeah. building the wall? Going to make Mexico pay. Toy Hutchinson, I know we're going to talk about the bills in your portfolio, but you hear President Donald John Trump. What are you thinking? It just makes my head hurt. It just, it, I, I make my living talk. You make your living talk. I make my living talk, and that man makes me stutter. And sometimes, you know, to listeners out there, too, it's like it's okay to practice a little self-care. You know, like you can turn some of this off sometimes because this constant barrage of this much negativity mm-hmm. and this much um, just hateration. Oh, Hateration. You talk it's just, about it. It's hard. It's it, really hard. And then it numbs people. And I was, I was just thinking the other day, I was talking to some friends. I was like, so you remember all the Benghazi hearings and all the, you know, over and over and over again, you investigate the Clintons and you keep investigating, 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 investigating. And now what 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 it does is that it, it so we have so much anger about that, mm-hmm. that when something real is happening now, they're like, that's just how that is. So we, we've already normalized this behavior as something that we're supposed to just get like it's, we're supposed to just get used to this. Well, it's just disgusting. Well, let me ask you this. Uh that's just the way it is. Uh, that Trump would clearly what he's doing since the uh, Mueller report was, uh, well, I can't even say it was released because it wasn't publicly released. But since Mueller announced that he was sending it to Barr, the attorney general, uh, Donald Trump has been walking around saying, what a triumph for me. I've been exonerated. And he's like turning, trying to turn the tables. I'm going to investigate the investigators. We all know it was BS, you know, he swears, you know, nobody else can swear, but he swears, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And uh, Nancy Pelosi was quoting the paper today. All right, if that's the case, release the Mueller report. Uh, What are you, a scaredy cat? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I love Nancy Pelosi. I'm just going to say it right now. Uh, So... uh, how do you think Democrats should be uh, handling this at this moment of time? There's those who say, just drop it, move on to other things. And there are those, like a certain me, who say, no, keep pressing. Get the Mueller report out there. What's your? How, how do you view this, Toy? Oh, well, I think I, I listen to a lot of the, the reps when they, when they come on shows and talk about how we can do more than one thing at one time. You know, it's like moms do it all the time. We can do more. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can keep pressing. You can do the investigations. You can pass bills. And you can deal with pe- things that people are really, really concerned about. And those of us that consume a lot of media, like consume a lot of media in the political space, it seems like that's all we talk about. It's all we do. It's all, that's, that's all there is out there. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of people who are working on really some significant pieces of legislation to make people's lives better. I think the classic thing for this debate is that Republicans will always overreach. You would think that, you know, um, the best way for Trump to handle his handpicked AG who had already said publicly that the Mueller investigation was wasn't copacetic anyway. So he came into this. I mean, that's not the definition of a of a bias. I don't know what is, but so he said this before that he would, you know, be gracious, right? He would just walk around and be like, see, I told you, and then move on to the rest of the, you know, this other stuff. But in this gloat tour, mm-hmm. he busted out with, we're going to get rid of Obamacare. We're going to go back to the wall fight. We're going to go back to, he going to pull out all the rest of the stuff that doesn't do anything but animate mm-hmm. us. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you they, for keeping us focused. Yeah, they overreach. Thank you for showing that you can't take your thumb off the scale. Thank you for showing that we still have a whole lot of work to do. And I do think that there is a benefit to a repudiation that happens at the ballot box by the people. Because um, I understand, I really understand 
the the need and the belief and the desire to walk into impeachment hearings. I absolutely do. But I also get that a third of the country is going to think that's a coup. So I'm kind of one of those ones that's like moving into this next next cycle. Yeah. Let them keep saying what they say. Let them keep doing what they do because we're doing a really good job responding to that and showing the distinction and drawing the distinction as to this is what you get when you elect them. This is what you get when you elect us. Uh, and you just said a whole lot of work to do. Uh, let's just then go back to what the bills in your portfolio, some of the things that you're trying to do uh, specifically, because I feel myself, if I don't do this, I feel like a force toy dragging me down the road <laughs> of like, what should the Democrats do? And Toy is going to be a regular uh, guest on this show. She was a regular guest on my old show. She's not going anywhere. <laughs> so we'll be talking plenty of presidential politics along the way. Along the way, because you haven't. I don't. I know you haven't made up your mind yet. Correct. No, okay. No, I'm waiting. So you're like the rest. The, the of field us. is way too big. The it's, field is way too big for me to be calling now. I, I, it's going to get bigger too, because oh. Grandpa Joe hasn't officially announced this is yet. True. <laughs> this is true. So the grandpa's got to get in there, too. This is true. All right. Now, so uh, you may, you mentioned in passing earlier about repro- reproductive rights bill. And uh, I guess many many of our listeners probably thought, wait, didn't we already win that fight in the, the last go around with uh, Rauner with HB40? Remember HB40, everybody? Right. We How talked about it was, a long yeah. time. But no, there's a couple issues. We just we just did the um, – we just had in committee the um, – the, Getting rid of the Parental Notification Act. Mm, talk about and that. And that, that, you know, the Parental Notification Act seems on its face to be something that sounds fine and innocuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think we tried to bring out in committee is that the only thing that that does is become burdensome and punitive to a young girl or woman who's in that situation. So to explain so, what so, the, so, the no, So yeah. essentially what it is is that anybody who's under the age of 18, mm-hmm. if they want to access an abortion, would need their parents' approval. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we found is that young women who are in that situation that have good relationships with their parents do talk to their parents mm-hmm. and do talk to trusted, trusted advisors. It's really the ones who don't. It's the ones who are in horrible circumstances or very frightening circumstances that are now in a situation where the only way that they can access it is they they figure out how to navigate the court system on their own. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is you have people who then are forced into, into birthing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a lot of, again, um, a lot of concern about, you know, some of the testimony in the committee came out and said, why would you want to take parents out of this? And we're not taking parents out of this. If a young girl who's under the age of 18 gets pregnant, she doesn't have to tell her parents. If something goes wrong with her medically, she doesn't have to tell her parents. If she requires surgery in the middle of things, she does not have to tell her parents. She's in the position now where she then has agency over her body and the baby she's carrying. That is not the case. The only time in that situation where she'd have to bring her parents into it is if she chooses to not have that child. So it is one of the, we want Mm. people to have access. And what I try to tell people all the time is that um, I want my daughter to have all the information she needs to make the best choices she possibly can. And to me, information isn't permission, it's power. When she knows better, then she can do better. And I recognize that I'm not with her all the time. I'm not going to be in the middle where I can stop her from making a bad choice or a bad decision. But I do know that I want her to be in the space to get all the grace and forgiveness that God promises us based on our faith tradition. 
She has to be alive to do that. She has to be healthy enough to do that, which means she needs to be in a situation where it's regulated and it's safe and that a decision you made or a happenstance that happened to you doesn't change and regulate the rest of your life into choices you had nothing to do with. So it's a it's a difficult thing to talk about when you talk about parental involvement because we all want parental involvement. But in those instances where you have a young person who's whose mother's boyfriend is the father of the baby, or there's incest, or there's physical abuse in the home, or they're facing homelessness. Those are not the people you turn away from. Those are the people you help more. Absolutely. Uh, Very well put. And so what's the status of this? Well, Illinois, um, you know, we up in the greater Chicago metropolitan area, it can be very easy to think that we have a solid, strong, you know, pro-choice legislature. Mm-hmm. We don't. We have a very, very big, diverse state. We have 102 counties across this state. And if you saw in the last election, you'll see how many of those counties were solid red and where the blue bubbles are. So Bubbles we, are big, bubbles but are they're big, still bubbles. But they're still bubbles. Mm-hmm. And, and for a lot of, you know, a lot of these counties look more like each other than they'll ever look like the greater Chicago metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. And not only do we need more legislators to go see what they look like, we need them to come up here and see what we look like mm-hmm. up here. Because it takes a lot of um, political will and it takes a lot of time to make sure these issues stay in the forefront. So if I, I try to concentrate on keeping it well within the, reproduct, the reproductive justice conversation as opposed to just whether or not I want to have the baby. Mm-hmm. I want to know how I can participate in the full economic stream from the time you start menstruating and the time you stop. That's a long time in a woman's life. Mm-hmm. And it is absolutely, it absolutely affects how long you live, how much money you can make, the quality of your health, the access to where you live, what kind of education you have. It impacts so many different things. And the single best thing we can do for this economy is to make sure that a fully 50% of its members have access to the full economic stream. And that means you cannot ignore our entire reproductive lives. So whether we're talking about birth control, which I think almost we should probably call hormone therapy or something because <laughs> there's like 95 different things you can take a birth control pill for. It has yeah. nothing to do with whether or not you don't want to be pregnant. That's correct. And so, you know, and, and, and the fact that in that space, that's the only space where everybody gets to have an opinion and weigh in on that opinion, but the one people who matter the most, which is the person it's happening to and advisors that she chooses. Mm-hmm. Because newsflash, when I die and I hope to, you know what, I go to heaven, you won't be there. It's going to be me and him talking about that. Mm-hmm. You won't be there. This is my life and my body and compulsory birth just doesn't feel right. So you're trying to take off the books uh, a law that exists. Do you have the votes for that? I think we do. I think we do in the Senate. I think it's going to be, it's going to be a tough haul in the house oh that house <laughs> are they even gonna let it have, uh, come to vote oh yeah they'll let it come to vote they'll well they get vote. tricky and i remember when that uh gay marriage bill all of a yeah. sudden um yeah. was it a state representative greg harris yeah he they made him get up and pull the bill and i was like what come on well these are but that's another one of those issues both marriage equality cannabis and reproductive rights tend to fall sometimes they, those things fall generationally yeah and sometimes those things fall culturally. They're not always D to R. 
And and that's the other thing I tell people all the time. Illinois is big and diverse. And you have all kinds of people who come from all walks of life. And the only time, the only time that we, we all come in a room together, you have these people from 59 different districts yeah. in the Senate and from 118 different districts in the House are all under one room. People they would never, ever be in the same room with together ever. And the only thing that unifies all those folks is that we got the word state in front of each one of our, ti each one of our titles. So when it comes to those things, we don't have the luxury of being myopic. We have to think about where everybody's mm -hmm. coming from. It's that really persnickety thing called democracy where everybody gets a say. All right. And that uh, brings me to uh, the what you call cannabis. I call cannabis. You call it cannabis. Did you I know call why they started calling it marijuana? <laughs> no, explain. Oh, cannabis was legal in this country for ye decades and decades and decades until they tried to tie it to who? Uh, Brown people, yeah. Mexican folks, black folks. Yeah. And then it became marijuana. Marijuana. So, I call it reefer. Uh, well, you're of that generation. Remember I said there was a generational yeah, conversation. <laughs> uh, like but, reefer madness. No, you're absolutely correct. That's why I tend to refer to it as cannabis. Yes. Uh, okay, call it cannabis. <laughs> like that'll convince somebody, I'm going to make it legal. But you're finally well, we going to make it legal, and it's going to be the Cannabis Act. No, it, I know, it won't be the Reefer Act. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> but you are... I can't even get the words out because what you're saying is so true. And this is one of my favorite themes. Dennis knows as I go on and on about this. Back in the days when your favorite governor, Bruce Rauner, was reigning. I'm laughing there. It wasn't, definitely was not her favorite governor. Yeah, uh, the smile just dropped. He went. Uh, <laughs> he did an interview on a downstate radio show. Dennis and I played this all the time. We had so much fun with this. And he thought toy that by um, going hard against the legalization of cannabis, uh, he was going to win over downstate voters. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, mm -mm. there are so many people smoking reefer downstate mm -hmm. it, that it's mm -hmm. such a, you talk about pl implicit biases, right. Right. okay? Oh, they don't. It's like they, they think they're from like a old song from the Sixty Oki from a Skokie song, you know, where they we don't smoke marijuana or whatever the song said. And so there's this notion, and I, I think it is embedded in racial politics, this notion that somehow that evil weed is linked to like, you know. Communities of color co and crime. Communities and of color, it's yeah. It's also why I don't say black market, because yeah. I'm like, everything yeah. bad and horrible and illegal and awful can't be black. Yeah. So we say illegal market, illicit market, and then that wonderful secondary market where all kinds of people who aren't of color have access just fine and don't get in trouble, don't get arrested, don't lose their housing, don't have problems getting school um, scholarships or financial aid or any of those things without any of the horrible stuff that's come that actually came out of these 80 years of prohibition. This is, we have an opportunity in the state right now to, to start to right some of those wrongs if we get this right. All right, so are the votes there to legalize marijuana or cannabis or whatever we're gonna call it? So you know I'm always hopeful. Uh -huh. So I'm the chief co-sponsor. Senator Staines is the chief sponsor in the Senate, and Representative Kelly Cassidy is the chief uh, sponsor in the House. Representative Jahan Gordon Booth from Peoria is the, Pride and is Joy the chief, of Peoria. Yep, chief co-sponsor <laughs> to um, Kelly. Both me and Jahan are carrying the cannabis banking bill right now with the treasurer's office. Um, I'm always hopeful that when you, you do a piece of legislation like this, it's, where so much work has gone into it, that and when we're ready to call the bill, there will be the votes for it. Uh, but we do have to build coalitions. I mean, you're talking about something that touches four different state agencies and things that you have whole communities 
who have been ravaged by the war on drugs who cannot now be cut out. I agree with that 100%. The normalization and the legalization of this across the board. Yeah. So there's I mean, a lot of work that has to go into this, but we also have a governor who included it in his budget. So there's He's already the, banking on the money. <laughs> Hence my banking bill, but yeah, it is, it is, um, and it is one of those things where I think the time has come for us to finally get this on the books. And I try to tell people too, this is the beginning of this. This is not the end. Yeah. Well, they just had that bill. Kelly Cassidy was on the show last week, sitting in that very chair where you're sitting, mm -hmm. Casey, as we call her. And, uh, we were talking about how there's a resolution. Uh, let's not go too fast. And I was teasing her. I go, Fast, I know. <laughs> Fast. I know. Hundreds of meetings and all kinds of Kelly, yeah. Kelly and Heather have been all around the world and back again. Yeah, and so and then we've had a number of different legislators have their own town hall meetings. Um, I'll be at one tomorrow at twelve o'clock with Representative Sonia Harper, the Kelly Library. Sonia um, Harper, so it is friend of the show. It is. It is really. It's a. It's an exciting thing to work on right now. It it really is because it's one of those. I feel like when, when they were working on the repeal of prohibition of alcohol in 1922, it's like, this is the we're going to be doing cannabis bills for the next 50 years. This is just starting. <laughs> yeah. But the thing we have to get right up front is that we cannot codify the inequity that exists right now in Absolutely. the medical industry when we expand this out to adult use. So issues of social justice and criminal justice reform and equity in this space are paramount, and it can't pass without that. All right, very good. And we'll leave it there. We got fair tax, but we'll talk about the next time. We got to leave something on the table to talk about with Tor Hutchins. And you notice I got in and out of this uh, conversation with you without one word about Jesse Smollett. How about that? I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad. I know. I, yeah. Yeah, okay, I'm let that just lie. leave it yeah, there. Leave I've had there. enough conversation. And that's my way of saying uh, that we will be doing an interview in a little while with Andy Grimm, uh, the Sun-Times reporter who's been covering the Jesse Smollett case from start to wherever we are now. I don't know if we're even near the finish. So, uh, folks, you can we'll be downloading that over the weekend. Yeah, I'm going to hustle and get that up uh, for tomorrow. Very good. So we can come back at some point and talk about the Capitol bill and the... Oh, graduated uh, income tax, or we don't know the fair the tax. Fair tax. The fair tax. Come on, get it right. Fair tax. It's yes. not marijuana. It's cannabis. It's, it's not, not graduated. It's fair. fair. Right. All right, let's get it right. Right, because okay. yeah, because it ain't fair. There's a whole lot of people who should be paying yeah, more. Yeah, that, that is exactly it's right. It's not fair. So we should call it the not fair. Right. That, way it know, is. I say that too about like whenever they say we need to do a disparity study, and we do need, to, especially in the cannabis space, we need to do a disparity study. But I call those privilege studies because you want to. You know, talk about the underserved communities. Let's talk about the 85 to 90 percent that goes to not minority communities, free and unfettered. That's the privilege. That is the privilege. All right. That's Toy Hutchinson, uh, state senator from the South Suburbs. She's by my guest. Excellent guest. She's going to be back next month because every month I'm going to get Toy locked in here. Ramana Hussein, the Ramana Rundown, uh, early in the show. Jeremy Wexler, uh, he's the director of admissions at the Theater Wit. Sounds like a great play. Urge everybody to go see it. I want to thank Miles. Miles, you got baseball games this weekend? Yeah. You got a couple games? All right. They're on a roll. The kid's batting over 400. All right. He's batting over 400. He's batting <laughs> higher than anybody in this studio. The great Miles Porter. And, of course, the show wouldn't be possible without the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Did you know this toy? The ladies all love him for his body and his mouth. <laughs> I cannot tell you what a horrible missing thing it would be to not have Ben Drive on 
air. I'm, I'm so I'm happy you were on air that we could keep talking and you could keep just being you. And I didn't even get to drop in a Hamilton reference. I oh, yeah, she's going to start singing Hamilton know, as like, we leave. Like, you asked me, are there the votes? You don't have the votes. <laughs> that is straight out of Hamilton. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend. Right. See you next week, everybody.